Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Now, it's very important to remember that there are presuppositional understandings and implications to these verses found in the book of Colossians. That's why if you're listening for the first time, make sure you listen to our study through 1 Corinthians and then get yourself caught up to Colossians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, um, and then uh, uh, you have uh, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, and then Colossians. Make sure you get yourself caught up because you'll understand. That's why we refer to Colossians as a quasi 6 Corinthians because it will help us together. It will help you. It will help me. It will help us as one body grow and mature together in Christ for his glory, for his glory. But to have these understandings of, you know, like in verse one, we're in Colossians chapter three, verse one, if then you were raised with Christ. Now, this is a big deal. If then you were raised with Christ. Now, remember the word if here, it's a word of conditionality. A word of conditionality. It's not a blanket statement to say like you were raised with Christ. There's this word of conditionality of, okay, this might apply to you, but it might not apply to you. Now, I I know that sounds like, what is this guy saying? I know that sounds rough and harsh even. But remember, in order for this to be effectuated, to be raised with Christ, in order for this to be effectuated, there are these presuppositional conditions such as what we studied last week in chapter 2 verse 20 if you died with Christ just like in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 where Paul says I have been crucified with Christ now remember we make the emphasis when we were in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 that that's Paul that's Paul saying that I have been crucified with Christ a lot of times Christians we get ourselves into trouble when we say oh yeah I've been crucified with Christ It's a very beautiful truth, the very beautiful aspect of our walk with the Lord. But then it also begs the question, does this apply to me? Does this apply to you? Does this apply to us? Now comes the obedience aspect. I mean, I hate mentioning this. I I do not like mentioning it because it's it's such a grotesque thing. But in the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was such sin in, in there that is not even named among non-believers. There was a guy that was having sex with his dad's wife. And he was inside the church. Now, for such individual, can he say that he has died with Christ? Can he say that he has been crucified with Christ? And since he can, I mean, the answer is no. But since the answer is, I mean, Paul straight up says of this guy inside the church, inside the church, not out. The world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was a guy who's having sex with his dad's wife. Paul says to the church, you guys, your rejoicing isn't a good thing. He says, take that guy and commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Now, for the remnant. Once that separation happened in 1 Corinthians 5, once that happens, look at how safe it is for the church in Corinth to grow and mature together, bearing one another's burdens because the leaven is no longer there. Now it's safe for the remnant to exercise these things. But for the guy who was inside the church, believes in Jesus Christ, but there was no obedience. Can he say, That he has been crucified with Christ? The answer is no. 
And that's why we say that there's these presuppositional understandings and not just understandings like, you know, not just knowing for the sake of knowing, but knowing for the sake of applying you and me together. And since we know, since, when, you know, it's the Lord who is the author and perfecter of our faith. We lay aside those things which so easily ensnare us. And then once that happens, when you and me together, we carry our cross, which is the instrument of death. We reckon the old man dead, which is beautiful. We reckon the old woman dead, which is beautiful. Now, when that happens in obedience to him, now these things become effectuated for us. Where just like Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Then we can say, I have been crucified with Christ. Why? Because as is written still in Galatians 20 is, you know, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. These are truths that are effectuated in us, but is only through obedience to his word. Just as Jesus says, if you love me, obey me. If you love me, follow me. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I love how verse 1 starts off with if, if, if. It's a word of conditionality. Now, this isn't to be uh, 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 like, you know, uh, 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 restrictive in any way, shape, or form. It's not to be restrictive to say like, well, you know, if you're a baby Christian, okay, you're going to burn in hell. No, not to come off that way. It's to say, if you're a baby Christian. Now, if you're a brand new believer, praise be to the Lord. But if you're a baby Christian and you've been a Christian for 10 years, that's not good. It's to say, all those things which so easily ensnare you, lay them aside. It's not worth it. I mean, for the sake of your soul, it's not worth it. I mean, for the sake of, you know, like straight up paradise and gnashing of teeth, it's not worth it. We have to see things with the eternal end to things. You know, a lot of times we get trapped in this world and we just figure, okay, you know, here, you know, this is, you know, this is today. Let's live for today. Eat, drink, and be merry. No, those, that's what Jesus Christ indicates the days of Noah mentality. It's not good. One of the signs of the times, it's not good. We have to be very forward looking to understand, like, listen, we're on our way to paradise. And on our way to paradise, we learn along the way, we grow along the way, we mature along the way. Because remember, as we journey, just like Israel in the wilderness, as we journey, what happens? Attacks, 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 attacks will come. And if we journey as babies, we're straight up toast. But if, if we journey maturing and growing, being equipped, straight up warriors, Attacks will still come, but we ain't babies no more, you see? And so these truths, they become effectuated in verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ. Now, to be raised with Christ means you have to be dead with Christ, which is, you know, Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. And now, since that happens, if, if, if you and me are dead with Christ, we can also... Echo the words of Paul, like in Galatians 2.20, I have been, we have been crucified with Christ. Can the guy who's having sex with his dad's wife say that? Absolutely not. Remember, it takes two to tango. Can she say that? No. She's not crucified with Christ because the flesh, the flesh is still alive, alive and well and uh, rotten. You see the fruit of it. 
It's very important to make this distinction and to understand these things because these days are evil. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Now, if you're a young believer or you're, a, you know, a new believer or even a new listener, because, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, people approach me after a message or sometimes people contact me after a message or, you know, through the, through the interweb. They're like, whoa, we've never heard that before. I completely understand. Well, we've never heard a, we, 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 we've never heard it taught like that before. Well, it is written. The, you know, the word of God, it hasn't changed. It's, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. The word of God hasn't changed. I mean, there are translations, you know, Alexandrian texts. I'm not a fan of post-Alexandrian or Alexandrian and post-Alexandrian texts. But when I say, you know, the word hasn't changed, I'm talking about like, you know, Hebrew, uh, Aramaic, uh, Greek. I'm not talking about, you know, modern translations. As a little side note, be very careful with modern translations, especially copyright dates, because, you know, they are changing the Bible. Another sign of the last days. But if you're a new listener or a baby Christian, and even if you're a baby Christian, you've been a baby Christian for 10 years, and now you realize like, wow, I don't want a steady diet of milk. Praise be to the Lord. We're journeying together. We're journeying together. You know, it's, I like to think of like kids, you know, picture like, you know, we're on college campus. You and me, we're on college campus and, you know, we're college age. We're on college campus. Little side note too. I'm not a fan of college, just so you know, uh, just because it's like, you know, liberal institution. People get brainwashed into there, into liberalism and, you know, globalist mentality. But we'll save that for another day. Uh, but say, for example, we're college kids, you know, you and me, we're in, on college campus. And then all of a sudden we see like, a 10-year-old with a backpack. And like, what? Who, who, who is this kid? Does, does he belong there? Does she belong here? Now, with carnal eyes, it could be that she doesn't belong there. You know, he or she, she's lost. She, she looks like a student. She's got the backpack. She's got books in there. But does she belong there? It could be that she doesn't belong there. But it could also be that she absolutely belongs there. It could be that he absolutely belongs there. Maturity in Christ has nothing to do with age. I know 16-year-olds who are leaps and bounds more mature than 50-year-olds in Christ. Now, carnally speaking, you think, okay, the wisdom is with the 50-year-old. Spiritually speaking, the 15-year-old, you know, not to explain this in a carnal sense, but, you know, carnally speaking, you know, the 15-year-old could run circles around the 50-year-old. And with this maturity of the 15 or 16-year-old, with this maturity, that would never happen. Because the 15, 16-year-old knows, you know what, this, this guy is a milk drinker. This lady is a milk drinker now. We got to take this individual and get her off of milk, get him off of milk. And now when I say like, you know, the 15 year old could run circles around the guy or whoever it is, it's to give that example of, you know, the maturity level. But spiritually speaking, that would never happen. Like the, the 15 year old wouldn't run circles, you know, like, ha ha ha, look how, look how much wisdom I have. Ha ha, look how much I know of the Bible. No, because that's carnality. It's the flesh. Now we see the advantage, just like our Lord tells us to carry our cross. Luke chapter 14, verse 27, that we carry our cross. We reckon the old man dead, the old nature dead. Romans 6, verse 11. 
and then to be buried with Jesus. That's Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. Now, when these things happen, this, this, this sequence, you know, we, be, we become believers, we believe in Jesus Christ. Now comes the obedience side. And in the obedience side, we carry our crosses. We reckon the old man dead. We reckon the old woman dead. Now we're buried with Jesus. Colossians chapter 2 verse 12. Now what is effectuated in us when those things are, you know, a little, little spiritual check mark. Okay, we believe in Jesus Christ. Check. Okay, we're, we obey Jesus Christ. Okay, check. And, you know, there's going to be times where we falter. We're, we're in these earth suits. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. But a lot of times people say, oh, you know what? We're all sinners. We're all sinners. And it's absolutely true. When we're done sinning, you're going to be dead. It is absolutely true that, yes, we are all sinners. But never, ever, ever, ever use that as an excuse. Well, I'm going to do my crack today. So I'm just, I'm I'm a sinner. We're all sinners saved by grace. Well, I'm going to do my pornography today. Well, I'm going to go visit the strippers today. Well, I'm going to call on the prostitutes today. Oh, we're all sinners saved by grace. You know, don't use that as an excuse for vice. You will stumble. We will stumble along the way. We're never going to be sinless, but we can sin less and less and less as we grow, as we mature. And the type of sin is, I mean, like when I repented 25 years ago, is leaps and bounds different than when I repent today. I mean, sometimes, you know, I, I was talking to a brother recently and says, yeah, you know, I repent of those things. And I'm like, what? You repent of that? That's like nothing. Yes, I repent of that because it's my conscience before the Lord. I want, I want our lives, my life, your life, and together to be a sweet aroma unto the Lord. I mean, what I repented for 25 years ago is much, much different than what I repented of, you know, last week. And so we're, we're, you're never, we, we're never going to be sinless, but we can sin less and less and less. Don't, don't use, don't take advantage of God's grace and just like, oh, you know, we're all sinners saved by grace. My friend wants to get drunk. I'm going to go get drunk with my friend. So yeah, we're all sinners saved by grace. That's a bad mentality to have. Because we make a cognizant choice to honor the Lord and glorify Him. That's why, you know, here it's mentioned, if you're listening for the first time, purpose in your heart to listen to 1 Corinthians. Because it, you'll understand when you get to 1 Corinthians and then, you know, you, you, you listen and then you get caught up to where we're at now, it'll be like, oh yeah, I remember. Oh yeah, I get it now. And oh yeah, you know, I, you know, that, you know to commit a guy to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that's hardcore. It's very important to understand that we're in the Colossian saints now. More mature. That's why we say it's like a, a quasi six Corinthians. Not to sound blasphemous in saying that, but a quasi six Corinthians in terms of Corinth now moving on to perfection or the Corinth mindset moving on to perfection. And so we see here in verse one, if then you were raised with Christ, with that alone is loaded. It's not a blanket statement to be like, wow, you know what? I can do my crack and look, I'm raised with Christ. Oh, look, I can do the prostitutes and the Buddha and the occult. I can do all these things and, you know, worship Mary and do all these things. And look, look, the Bible says here, look, I'm raised with Christ. No, 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 no. Hold the phone. There are these not just presuppositional understandings, 
but presuppositional implication implications to one's obedience to the word of God. And so we continue. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ, where Christ is. You see? And to seek here, seek those things which are above is to desire these things which are above. You see, I mean, I, I, I really don't like harping on the guy that was having sex with his dad's wife. But in one sense, I like using him as an example because it's so egregious. It's so disgusting. It's so like, ugh, I mean, I just, I, to, to hear it, to read it, it's like, ugh, I want to take a shower. You know, it's like, ugh, I don't, it's, it's creepy. I don't like it. It just, I, I, I don't like it. But what was going on in his mind? Does he seek those things which are above? Does he desire those things which are above? You see? No. Maybe he thought about it from time to time. Maybe he was faking it. Maybe he believed in Jesus Christ, but he didn't count the cost, as our Lord says to. But if then you were raised with Christ, which, boom, all these other things are effectuated. If you were raised with Christ, that means that you're already, you already believe in Jesus Christ. You're already carrying your cross. You've already reckoned the old man dead. You've already reckoned the old woman dead. You're already buried with Jesus. And now verse 1 is applicable. You see? Now we see, like, seek those things which are above. It's applicable. It's like, you know, desire those things which are above. Now, everything prior, like, you know, our study in Philippians, like in Philippians 4, you know, whatever things are true, noble, Philippians 4 verse 8, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy, meditate on these things, that's a gimme. That's a gimme because it's like, you know, that's why we look at, you know, like, you know, like grade levels, 1 Corinthians like, you know, that's like, you know, preschool, you know, first Corinthians and second Corinthians and then, uh, 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 Galatians and then, uh, uh, Ephesians and, uh, uh, Philippians and Colossians. And that's why we look at like grade levels to understand, okay, you know, like if then you were raised with Christ here in verse one and then desire or seek those things which are above. Well, look at the, look at the mindset from the, from the prior grade. The prerequisite that was already learned in Philippians 4, that we meditate on these things. Holy things. The guy who was having sex with his dad's wife, where Paul says, take him and commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. He's, he hasn't gone to grade Philippians yet. He hasn't gone to great Philippians yet. So he's not thinking, his mindset is not on those things which are praiseworthy and virtuous. Think about where his mind was. But when obedience, through obedience, all these things, once they become effectuated, it's a whole new ballgame. 
you seek those things which are above, desire those things which are above. In verse 1 says, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. I had a guy tell me one time, uh, an elder also in the mission field, he says, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Stupidest counsel I've ever heard in my life. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Because what does the Bible say? Be heavenly minded. Verse 1 says, seek seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Be heavenly minded. He tells me, be, don't, don't be so heavenly minded that, you are no, that you're no earthly good. But let me tell you something. When you are heavenly minded, when all these things are effectuated in you, you are absolutely no earthly good. Absolutely no earthly good. The world is not worthy of you. That's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 38. Things that we referenced before, but we mention it again. Be heavenly minded. Somebody tells you, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Tell them to fly a kite. Because that counsel is garbage. Because when all these things are effectuated in you, you believe in Jesus Christ. You reckon the old man, you're carrying your cross. You reckon the old nature dead. You're buried with Christ and you're raised with Christ. You are absolutely no earthly good. This world, remember, the world is at enmity with God. In verse 2, set your mind on things above. It's to exercise the mind, to entertain in the mind, to have sentiments toward heavenly things. Sentiment and thoughts on heavenly things. And Paul says to the Colossians, Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. You see? Now, doctrine, sound doctrine is key. It's very important to remember and understand that sound doctrine is key. It's not like, you know, an idea of heavenly things. It's straight up heavenly things in accordance with the word of God as defined in scripture. A lot of times people watch movies, you know, about heaven. You know, a guy died, you know, went to heaven. Uh, and then, you know, he was, he, 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 he lives again. And then all of a sudden he writes a book and they make a movie out of a book. And, you know, they, and then like 10 years later, after all the prophets are done and, you know, the, the movie's gone to like, you know, uh, it, it's just gone as nobody wants it anymore. Then he comes out and says, Oh yeah, it's all fake. He's already made his millions. We don't base our ideas on of heaven through movies and books and, you know, and people say, oh, yeah, I died and, you know, I went to heaven and I saw my grandpappy there and grandpappy says, you know, he wants, you know, he wants me to go back to earth and grandpappy was so nice and all these things. I saw his wings. I saw grandpappy's wings and and so I came back to earth. He, he told me to go back to earth because there was something I had to do. And so I came back to earth and here I am. Oh, let me tell you what heaven was like. There was these cars and all these things. Listen, if you heed such things and it doesn't align with the word of God, you're in trouble. Don't do that. We set our mind on things above, not on things on earth. We, we have these, you know, to be heavenly minded. But then at the same time, it much it must match doctrine. 
I think it's very interesting because, you know, there's all these like New York Times bestsellers, you know, about heaven. What Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, I, I can't even utter these things. I can't even speak of these things. And this is Paul. Not like the average bear. And he says, you know, I was, you know, I was in heaven. He, he, it was so palpable to him that he doesn't know if it was Paul. He doesn't know if it was a vision or he, if he was there physically. Me personally, I think it was there physically. That's just me. But Paul says, you know, I don't know if it was a vision or I don't know if, if I was there physically. And, but you know, he says, I can't even, I can't even, it's not lawful for, for one to even speak of these things. And that's Paul. And yet you have, you know, Joe Schmo writing a book about his experience in heaven, which doesn't even align with the Bible, which is bad. You know, that's between Joe Schmo. That's, that, that's, that's his deal. And if he doesn't repent and believe in Jesus Christ, you know, not good for him. But what's sad is that you have Christians watching these movies. Watching, watching these movies, these shows, these, 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 these reading these books about heaven. And they're formulating these ideas about heaven, but it doesn't even match the word of God. It's got to match. It's got to align. Remember, square in the square, circle in the circle, triangle the triangle. We don't take the square and try to mash it into the triangle. And so Paul says here, set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. But remember, it's got to match. Everything's got to align perfectly. And then Paul says here, remember, remember the check mark from verse one. You know, we carry across the old nature is dead. We're buried with Christ. And verse one, we're raised with Christ. All these things that are now effectuated. And verse three, for you died. For you died. The further acknowledgement of death. It's very important to understand the maturity level to make the comparison and juxtaposition between First uh, Corinthians and then Colossians. It's a different church. I mean, it's, it's still the, the 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 church of our Lord, but one just needs a lot of work. One just needs a lot of attention. Not to say that Colossians didn't need work, but they have grown, they have matured, the Colossian saints. Just like the Philippian saints, they have grown and matured. Remember, for 13 years, like we studied last uh, in our last book in, in Philippians, Corinth became, you know, the, 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 the church was founded, and for, and for three years, they were just milk drinkers. Everybody on a steady diet of milk. Then we see the fruit of that. But then Philippians, for 13 years, they grew and advanced in the faith. The knowledge of Christ, the gifts of the Spirit. And so you see passages like this in verse 3, for you died. You died. You see, is every Christian dead? No, look at Corinth. Christians, I mean, when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, you know, saints, Paul makes a reference, saints, you guys are believers. You guys are believers, you're saints, you're Christians. But now comes the other point, which is of Christians, who is obedient and who is disobedient? And when I say disobedient, it's like, you know, wanton disobedience for three years, staying milk, staying on milk. You know, and don't forget, there was this subset of believers in Chloe's house. Beautiful. Beautiful. 
a remnant. And then all of a sudden Paul says, okay, take this leaven and separate from the leaven. It is not good. There is leaven in the camp. Now, I know if you're listening for the first time, if you're like a brand new listener and you're hearing that, you're like, oh my goodness, that separate from these Christians. Oh, that's not unifying. Now, when you listen to 1 Corinthians and get yourself caught up, you'll understand, yes, unity is beautiful. Unity is absolutely beautiful. But the formula's got to be right across multiple, you know, you're, you'll, you'll learn about our pots, you know, the multiple pots, the recipes in multiple pots, and the formula's got to be right. And when that's right, unity, beautiful. When it's not right, don't have unity with that. Paul makes, makes mention of that in Romans. You know, uh, contrary to the faith, contrary to sound doctrine, Romans 16. You see, unity is beautiful, but if there's anything contrary to sound doctrine, don't have unity with that. And so we see in verse 3, 4, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. How beautiful is that? Your life is hidden. Krupto in the Greek. Krupto, which is Hidden, concealed, and secret. Where we get the word crypto from? Crypto. You know, like cryptocurrencies? A little side note, not to get off topic, but a little side note for young investors. Emphasis on young. Uh, mankind's integration into blockchain. That's, that's dangerous business. We'll leave it at that. Table that for another day. But it's where we get the word crypto from. Crypto, crypto in the Greek. It's to be hidden and concealed in secret. And it's with Christ. Now this with Christ, remember it's soon here, with, soon. We study that in Philippians. But it's soon in the Greek. Which is, it's not just with Christ. It is like an immense closeness with him. It's the cheek to cheek, remember that? Cheek to cheek, it's intense closeness with Christ. And it is in God. It's in God, God the Father. You see? And then here we see in verse 4. Now, remember there are, when when these things are, the, the presuppos- presuppositional things become applicable to you. Like, you know, like, you know, you believe in Jesus Christ, you carry your cross, you've counted the cost, you carry the cross, you reckon the old man dead, you reckon the old woman dead, you're buried with Christ, now you're uh, 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 alive with Christ, you're raised with Christ. When that happens, certain promises are now effectuated as we see in verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, appears. Now, notice here in verse 4, Paul uses our life. He doesn't say my life, your life. He says when Christ, who is our life, appears. This is Paul's domain. This is Paul's domain. He's teaching the saints in Colossae for them to understand Christ who is our life. Could he say that to the guy who was having sex with his dad's wife? It's not that, you know, in the study in the book of Acts, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember how we would make mention of, you know, he's not like the average bear. There's something different about this guy, Paul. There's something different about him. 
And then even when we were in the Corinthian letters, how we would make the emphasis how Paul, in his humility, he doesn't want to exalt himself. But remember how he would say, you know, you have 10,000 teachers, but one father. He was speaking of himself as a spiritual father. He says, like you passed through my, my, you know, like I, I gave birth to you. Like I, you passed through the birth canal. He's male. He doesn't have a birth canal. But yet he speaks to that closeness in terms of his love for his children, his spiritual children, the church in Corinth, the saints in Corinth. And even when we would make mention of, you know, when, when Paul says, you know, I speak as a fool. When, you know, he says, you know, since you guys speak in this manner, you know, I speak as a fool, I'm going to do it as well. You know how he gets on a little soapbox, so to speak, not to exalt himself, but to get the attention to be arresting to the saints, to get their attention to say, listen, these people, you listen to them, it's going to be dangerous for you. I mean, we know the state of Corinth. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. We know their state. Even 6, 7, 8 when they were still babies and now they're moving on to perfection once the separation happened. Even in that state. Now, who are they listening to? I mean, you hear us say from time to time, where are the pastors? Where were the pastors in Corinth? Where were the elders in Corinth? Why did it have to get to that point that the leaven happened? Remember I shared with you my love-hate relationship with Corinth? I love it, but I hate it. Not, not, not the church, but I just, it's like, it's, it's ugly. It's like the yuck factor is, it's gross. A guy's having sex with his dad's wife. I don't like it. But yet I'm thankful that it's there. I'm thankful that it happened because we learn just like our study. It just so happens our study on Wednesday. You see all the sex from Wednesday. It's like, wow, does this even need to be said? Yes, absolutely. It needs to be said. So that the people can know and understand and hear and know what, you know, God's perspective on the matter, God's take on the matter. Now, Paul's in your court. And I'm thankful as grotesque as certain things are in the, in the Bible. I'm thankful they're there because we learn, we see how God responds to wickedness, how he responds to righteousness, how he responds to obedience and disobedience. We learn these things. And it's, you see, Paul in Corinth, remember, he would get on a soapbox, so to speak, and say, like, don't listen to these people. You have 10,000 teachers. Don't listen to them. I wonder who, I wonder who their New York Times bestsellers were. Did in Corinth, did they have books about, you know, until unity? Did they have books about crazy love there? Did they have books from certain coalitions there in Corinth? I speak facetiously, but then at the same time, I don't speak facetiously. Who were the saints listening to? Why is it that they didn't know that certain behaviors were unbecoming of a Christian? Now, you know, it's remember, there's three years uncorrected. A guy's having sex with his dad's wife. But the church was founded three years prior. Now, I don't know when the sexual activity was happening. I, forgive me for even speaking like this. It's it's. It, it's, it addresses the carnal nature, but these things must be said. These things must be understood. I don't know when the guy started having sex with his dad's wife. But what we do know is that the church was on milk for three years. What if it was for the entirety of the three years? Going to church, meanwhile having sex with his dad's wife. 
Who were these? So the saints would go to church in Corinth. But who in the world were these pastors? So-called pastors. They got the pastor parking spot. They got the name tag. says pastor. Oh, head pastor, co-pastor. Oh, look, I'm the head elder. Who are these people? Biblically speaking, that ain't no pastor. Why was it there, there was this uncorrected sin? It's sad that it even got to that point for Paul to say, take this guy and commit him to Satan. It's sad. But yet the house of the Lord must be kept clean. And so we see, we see Paul. Remember our, our studies in Acts where he's not like the average bear. He's different. There's something different about this guy. Remember how the apostles and even uh, prophets, you know, the, uh, they, 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 were, they were with Paul and they said, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. But we see the Holy Spirit telling Paul, go to Jerusalem. Why is it that the Holy Spirit, these Christians, even apostles, were telling Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. But yet the Spirit of the Lord was saying, Paul, go to Jerusalem. You see, there's something different about him. Something different about him. Now, the Spirit might have been, you know, saying to these other saints, don't go. But for Paul, go. It's okay for Paul to go. Because it's not like a baby's going into a war zone. This is Paul going into Jerusalem. You see? Now we see the beauty, the safety of maturing in Christ. And then at the same time, you see Paul, who's not like the average bear, but then in Corinth, how he gets on a show, he says, okay, uh, you know, I, I speak as a fool and saying this. And I'm going to paraphrase, but he basically says, you know, don't listen to these guys. These guys are crazy. Don't listen to them. I'll stretch it a little further. And I speak foolishly. He says, listen to me, Corinthians. Now, Chloe and those in her household, they know that what Paul says is right. Remember, they're Bereans. They study the scriptures. They know, okay, Paul says this is a triangle. Let's read the Bible and make sure the triangle fits. Okay, it fits. They know. But for the baby Corinthian saints, the, 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 the remnant that the separation has happened, for them to have this understanding that, okay, we got these 10,000 teachers and then we have Paul. Who do we listen to? The safety was in Paul. It's not to say Paul got on a soapbox so that he can be exalted. Yes, Paul got on a little soapbox to say, hey, these 10,000, listen, you've been, you've been listening, you've been heeding those 10,000 teachers. Look what it got you, Corinth. Look what it got you. Now we got a clean house. Don't listen to them anymore. Listen, we're going to put everything in order. The Lord cleans house. He uses his vessels. But there are moments and these times of judgment are coming soon. Where God cleans house, he uses his vessels. But sometimes God cleans house and he does it himself. That's not good when that happens. That's called straight up judgment. And the Bible says judgment comes first to the house of God. Why? Because the church is a mess. You see? 
And so you remember our, our, our studies in Acts, how we would make mention, Paul's not like the average bear. He's not like the average bear. I said it till I was blue in the face for a reason. You see, Paul in Corinth getting on a little soapbox. For their advantage, not for his glory, not for his advantage, for their advantage, so that he can say, hey, these 10,000, get rid of them. Listen to me. But then he says this, no soapbox for the Colossians. No soapbox for the Colossians. He says in verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, it's the saints are now in Paul's bubble. Instead of Paul getting on a soapbox saying, hey, get rid of these 10,000 and listen to me. Paul is saying, you know, that was for the Corinthian saints. But the, 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 the Colossian saints, these are people who, by and large, didn't even know Paul face to face. They heard of Paul, they heard of his words, but they, 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 the majority, vast majority, didn't see him face to face. But yes, you see Paul, not on a soapbox. When I say that this is Paul's domain, it's the saints that have entered his bubble. He's teaching And it's so beautiful because in Colossae, you don't see a guy having sex with his dad's wife. You don't see the drugs, the alcohol, the pornography, the strippers, the gambling, the Buddha. You don't see these things. And so we make these distinctions. That's why, you know, when we started, and I'm going to say it again, like if you're listening for the first time, make sure you listen to our Corinthian studies and then get yourself caught up. Because when you understand this concept of growing and maturing in Christ, it's not only going to help you grow and mature. It's not only going to help you stand, but it will help you withstand the storm that is coming. The storms of life. It will help you. In verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, appears... Now, you remember in Revelation 1 verse 7, every eye will see him, the revealing of Jesus Christ. Look what happens. Then you also will appear with him in glory. That's our glorified bodies. 1 Corinthians 15, our glorified bodies. You see, every Christian wants this, to receive a glorified body. Every Christian wants this. What do we do? How does this become effectuated in us? How does this become effectuated? What do we do? Show me the way. Okay, we continue. Verse 5. Therefore, put to death, which is to make dead, to render as dead. Therefore, put to death your members. I love how it says your members, men, my beautiful men, my beautiful brothers in Christ, whom I love. I love how it says put to death your members. Members, 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 men, 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 put to death your members, which are on the earth, which are on the earth. Remember, remember verse two, remember verse two, that for the Colossian saints, our minds are set on things above. 
Our mind is set on things above. That's verse 2. Now, does this apply to you? I pray yes. I hope yes. I pray yes. And not just today, but for all our days to the day we die. And if it's not, change your ways. Start thinking on heavenly things. Start meditating on things that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praise praiseworthy. Start bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Start doing these things. If you don't do that now, let today be the last day and let today be the first day where you start doing these things. You see? And repent too. If your mind is off in crazy town, repent. People think, oh, I got to repent for the things that I've done with my hands. I got to repent for the things I've done with my feet. I got to repent for my actions. I got to... Okay, yes, in, you know, you repent for those things. But what about disobedience in the mind? The dirty thoughts. You repent of those things, the thoughts. And then you learn to obey Christ. You learn to walk according to the Spirit. Yes, in body, physically, but also in spirit, mentally. And now as you grow, as you mature, you learn to walk according to the Spirit. Do you see what's happening along the way? You go from baby to toddler to child to, I don't know what they have now, the tweens. Then they have the teens and then adults. You see? And the whole time you're learning how to fight. Being equipped. Because attacks will come. Attacks will come. As surely as the Lord lives, attacks will come. But who's ready for them? Who's ready for, you know, a, a, a demon leaves a person and then go, goes, you know, and finds where, you know, searches for another uh, a, a vessel? And then he decides, you know what, I'm going to come back and go back to the original guy. I'm going to come back and go back to the original gal, but I'm going to bring my friends who are worse than he was. Who's ready for that fight? Remember our study through Matthew, if you've been walking with us for a while? Spiritual warfare? And when we put to death our members which are on earth, remember, our minds are on things above, not on the things of the world. Where your mind is, your feet will surely follow. And that's good, bad, and ugly. You have your mind on worldly things, carnal things. Well, it's just a matter of time before your feet and hands follow. But you have your minds on heavenly things. It's just a matter of time before your hands and feet follow. And I speak about you and me in our glorified bodies. Remember, Paul says to put to death, render as dead. In verse 5, fornication, where we get the word porneia. Very interesting. Porneia. Does that ring a bell? Men, put to death your members, members, members. Render as dead, porneia, fornication, uncleanness, lust. What's passion, but translates as lust. Evil desires, which translates as forbidden lust. I love how that's written, passion and evil desire. I lo- it's like a double whammy. 
it's like, okay, lust, but then forbidden lust, you know, cover all the bases. I love that so much. Just like in, you remember on our Wednesday study, it just so happens, you know, all the sex that was in our Wednesday study. It's like, wow, does this have to be mentioned? The sex here, sex there, sex here, sex there, sex here, sex, sex, sex. Does this have to be mentioned? Yes, it has to be mentioned. Absolutely. 100%. It has to be mentioned. Old Testament, New Testament, the good, the bad, the ugly. You see? And Paul, inspired of the Spirit, writing these things down to the saints and Colossae. Render as dead the fornication, uncleanness, the passion, the evil desires, and covetousness, which is greediness and extortion. You know, does that ring a bell? Remember 1 Corinthians 5? Of the extortion, Paul says, separate from these people. But they believe in Jesus Christ. Okay, they believe in Jesus Christ, but they're not obeying him. For three years, disobedience to the Lord. They might believe in Jesus Christ. They might even love Jesus Christ. But they're not following him. They're not obeying him. They're obeying their passions. They're obeying their flesh. And it is written here in verse 5, which is idolatry. Worship of something that is not of God. And if there's worship of something that is not of God, anything that is not God, not of God, but worship of anything that is not God, it is idolatry. What does that also mean? It means that Jesus Christ is not preeminent. You see? It's idolatry. If Jesus Christ is not preeminent, remember Colossians 1. It's very important to understand these things. Now, if you're listening for the first time, say you're a brand new Christian, you're listening, this is, understand that this is like, you know, post-grad. Remember we made that reference? This is like post-grad studies. It's not to say that, you know, this isn't for you, but there are prerequisites. There are prior studies to understand and grasp in order to get here. It's not to say that this isn't for you. It's for all of us. It's for all of God's people. It's for all of us. But to have the deeper understandings in terms of you and me applying these things to our lives, well, there's other things that we have to not master, but understand and apply to our lives. And in a sense, you could say master, but we're still going to make mistakes. We're in these earth suits. And when I say we're still going to make these mistakes, it's not to make excuse for sin. That would be taking advantage of God's grace. It's to understand the nature of the flesh and the nature of the spirit so that we can make decisions that honor the Lord and learn to walk according to the spirit. You see? And regarding these things that are on the earth as we put to to death our members, regarding these things, when Jesus Christ is not preeminent, in the end of verse 5 says, you know, which is idolatry, Paul says, because of these things. Now, remember, the Lord is reactionary. Old Testament, New Testament, the Lord is reactionary. Now we see in verse 6, because of this, because of these things, the members which are on earth, a mind that is on the earth instead of on the heavenly realm. Things heavenly. 
And because of these things, in verse 6, the wrath or the orge of God, this is God the Father, is coming. Whoa, that's heavy. We know that the wrath of God is coming on the world. Yes, that's like last day's 70th week. But don't forget our study in Romans 1. If you haven't been listening for a while, go back and listen to our study through Romans 1. The wrath of God is revealed upon individuals. The wrath of God is coming to the world. Yes. But the wrath of God is already here on individuals. Not the world, but on individual. On the world, it's coming. On individuals, it's here. He says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. This translates in the Greek as apatheia, which is to be disobedient, obstinate, rebellious, and to be in unbelief. That's why Brother James says, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Or belief and obedience. They're together. Belief and obedience, they cannot be separated. Because if they are separated, that's when you get into the 1 Corinthians 3 mindset, which is the milk drinkers. The guy who's having sex with his dad's wife, he believes in Jesus Christ. He loves Jesus Christ. He loves to gather with the saints. But is he obedient to Jesus Christ? The answer is no. And so Paul, a vessel of the Lord, or you could say the Lord through his vessel, Paul and Chloe, Chloe, says, take this guy and commit him to Satan. Why? There was no obedience. In John chapter 1, verse 12, you know, if you've received, if you, if you receive Jesus Christ, you believe in Jesus Christ, God gives the right to become children of God. Now it's very beautiful. You believe in Jesus Christ. You receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Yes, there's the right to become children of God. Praise be to the Lord. But then it begs the question. What kind of child? What kind of child? Obedient or disobedient? You see, what kind of child? A child like Chloe? Or a child like the guy who's having sex with his dad's wife? You see? For Chloe, things are beautiful. For the guy who's having sex with his dad's wife, he's, you know, committed to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. People just read this and they say, oh, it's just a blanket statement. Oh, cool, I believe in Jesus Christ. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm now a son of God. I'm now a daughter of God. Which is true. But it is also written. There's more. It's not just a blanket statement like, okay, cool, look, I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm a child of God. I'm a daughter of God. Okay, let's go to the strip club. Okay, let's go get baked tonight. Let's go get drunk. Let's do the Buddhas. Let's say the little white lies. Let's do our Ouija boards. Let's do all these things. Worship Mary. No, it doesn't work that way. It's very, very true. That a believer in Jesus Christ, that God, yes, absolutely, John 1 verse 12, gives the right to become children of God. But there's more. There's more. The thief on the cross, 
the the one who received Jesus as Lord. There was one who, you know, did not, and we know what happened to him. But there was one that did receive Jesus Christ as Lord. It was granted him the right to become a son of God. A child of God. You know, he's male, so I say son, but I mean, you know, a child, I mean, son of God, like, you know, blasphemy, like, you know, I'm just saying a child of God. We'll say it like that. But because he's male, say son. The thief on the cross. He receives Jesus. You know, you know, remember me when you enter your kingdom, he says. And Jesus says, today, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Beautiful, beautiful words. Because of his heart and his receiving and believing in Jesus Christ, he was a child of God. I'll say he is a child of God because we'll see him one day. We'll say if because there's some conditionalities to that. And when I say conditionality, you know, it's obedience. Obedience. So the thief on the cross, it was granted him to become a child of God. But what kind of child? Was he disobedient to the Lord? Well, he couldn't get off the cross. He died. I mean, the Lord told him, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't have much longer to live. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. But as we mentioned in prior studies, if by chance he lived and was brought down off the cross and he lived, you know, he went back home, had time to heal up and he was a free man. He would still have to choose obedience or disobedience. It's absolutely true. We believe in Jesus Christ. Boom. You have, we have the right to be children of God. And it is beautiful. But then don't forget the question. What kind of child do I want to be? Ask yourself that question. What kind of child do I want to be? What kind of children do we want to be? You and me together. What kind of children do we want to be? Disobedient or obedient? Balls in our court. I want us to be obedient. That's my desire. But obedience and disobedience is still a choice. It is always a choice. And when we see that, like in verse 5, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Verse 6, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. I don't want that for any of us. I don't want to be a son of disobedience. I don't want you to be a son of disobedience. I want us to be sons and daughters of obedience. And so we study the scriptures. Understanding the growth and maturing in Christ is not just beautiful, but there's safety behind it. Remember the repetition in Philippians? For you it is safe. In verse 7, in which you yourself, you, you yourselves once walked. Past tense. Past tense. When you lived past tense in them. You see? Remember our study in Deuteronomy, how, you know, Moses would say, don't forget that you were once in bondage. 
Don't forget that you were in Egypt. It's not that Christians that we get on a high horse and be like, Oh, you know, look, I'm so awesome. I'm of the elect. Look how awesome I am. Look how awesome I am. Look how awesome I am. No, that's carnality. That is the flesh, the flesh, the flesh, the flesh. Remember our study in Deuteronomy, how we would make reference quite a bit that when Israel enters the promised land or the promise of the promised land, it's not because they're awesome. It's not because, wow, look how awesome they are. It's to, you know, get off the high horse. Observe Israel according to the flesh. What about you and me according to the spirit? It's not because of awesomeness, so to speak, that it belongs to oneself. But I could say it is awesomeness of the Lord. His power, his mercy, his grace, his love, his long-suffering. Understand that you were once in Egypt. Sometimes, oh, I hate this so much. I, oh, I hate these, the, the sexual sin over here, the homosexuals, the lesbians. Oh, I just want them to burn in hell. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Have you forgotten heterosexual sin? Christian? Have you forgotten heterosexual sin? Something that you were once in? And now that you're not, you're going to say you're going to have that mindset to where it's like, wow, you want them to burn in hell? As opposed to, hey, why don't you cast the line out to them? Why don't you cast the line out to them? Sexual sin. And you can take anything, you know. It's, you know the, Romans 1 is loaded with all kinds of different types of sin. The carnal nature. Why not cast the line out to them? Remember, we have the weapons of our warfare. The helmet, the, the shield, the breastplate, the sword. Beautiful attributes of you know the, the warrior. Beautiful things that we wear, absolutely. But never forget the fishing pole. Never forget the net. Jesus says, go and make disciples. He doesn't say, go and make converts. Go and make disciples. Now, in order for a disciple to be a disciple... They have to learn biblical truth. And in learning biblical truth, you and me, we have to understand biblical truth. And not be novices. Because don't forget, Satan is a fisherman too. The full acknowledgement of, yes, Paul says in verse 7, you guys, that was once you. You once walked in that. You once lived in that. And Paul's not making the exclusion of himself like, oh, look how holy I am. You know, look at the, the, look how look how bad you guys were. Paul speaks of himself, especially his past nature, not so good. Not so good. Referring to himself. Himself before Christ, his BC days. How he did all these things against the Lord that he loves. Always remember that you were once in bondage, my friend, my brother, my sister. To have compassion on those that are still in Egypt. And don't forget your fishing pole. Don't forget your net. Now we see present tense in verse 8. But now you yourselves are to 
put off, which is to cast away all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Remember, Jesus Christ says it's not what enters a man which defiles a man, but what comes out of his heart. Filthy language, filthy speech. That's what defiles a man because it shows what is in the heart. You ever see Christians talking dirty language? Christians, like it's like locker room talk. I've been in locker room talk. I've been in like, you know, uh, locker room talk and I've been in like severely intense locker room talk. And then to be among Christians, as you know, decades ago, but to be among Christians, men, and to see, wow, this, this is like locker room talk. And a lot of wives, oh, look, my husband is going to go stay with these. He's They're going to have a men's fellowship and they're going to talk about these things. They're going to talk about the Lord and all these things. Surprise, wife. It's just like a big sex fest where people are talking about all their sexcapades. Surprise, wife. Better make sure the formula's right. Oh, but he's a pastor. Look, he's got his, you know, the the degree in theology. There was a pastor. Oh, this pastor's a missionary. There was a pastor that was just busted, went on a mission trip to Uganda, and he's you know he's in he's in jail now because he went to molest a child over there. He molested a, a, a little girl. Oh, what a godly man this is. Freak show. Straight up wolf. That ain't no pastor. That ain't no shepherd. That's a servant of Satan, straight up. That is a servant of Satan. And then, you know, wives. Oh, my husband's going to hang out with this guy. He's going to be a good influence on this guy because, look, he's a pastor and they have these men's groups and, yes, they they do all these things. Your your husband's going to be influenced by the sex head. Oh, I got my teenage son. And oh, yeah, it'd be nice if they can, you know, be with these youth group leaders. Look, they got their degree in theology and look up. You have to be wise. We're called to be loving. We're called to be gracious, merciful, forgiving, loving. But never does the Bible call us to be stupid. Never. We have to be wise. You see? You see the dirty language Jesus says it's not what enters a man which defiles him but what comes out of his mouth because you see the overflowing of the heart. Do you hear praise? Do you hear wow this guy doesn't cuss. He never talks dirty. He doesn't talk about the dirty shows, the dirty movies. You know these are fruits that are evident. And we look at the fruits. Jesus says look at the fruit. But you see, pastor, with this dirty language, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, that ain't no influencer. That's a servant of Satan. You see? Especially among the pastors, ministry leaders, but especially among the pastors. There are biblical qualifications for pastors. You see? Pastors who want to be like, oh, I, w- I want to be cool. Like pastors who as kids, they were like nerds, you know, and they never had any friends and they figure, oh, I'm a pastor now, so I got to fit in with the guys. No, you fit in with the Lord. 
You got these like nerdy pastors. They've never had friends before in their life. They might have one. I'm not, this isn't a popularity contest. But they're pastors and they figure like, oh, I, I want to be friends with all these people. I want to be friends with this. And I've heard it. Men's fellowships where the worship, the, the, the men's leaders and the pastors, they say, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to be gung-ho about this. And if we're going to talk about pornography, let's talk about pornography. And if we want to cuss, we're men, so let's start cussing. And, you know, the, the men just, what? What is this? And the wives at home, like, oh, it's a nice little holy men's group. No, you got to jump ship. That's dangerous. And when I say, you know, hey, you know, jump ship, it's not to say, hey, jump ship and you're going to sink in the ocean. It's to say jump ship. I say that from experience. I've jump shipped. Jumped ship. The church is straight up crazy town. Look at Corinth. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5 to Colossians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3, you know, the, the milk drinkers, and Colossians 3. And you can see it. Just by, you remember, Paul says, remember in, uh, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians 3 really quick. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it, and even and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there is envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Paul says in verse 1, I want to speak to you like deep spiritual things, but I can't. I can't. I desire to. I want to. But I can't. Why? Because you're babies. You, you know, I would love to have a, like a nice meal of like steak and pork chops and lobster with people, with you. Carnally speaking, I would love to do that. I would love to have, you know... Like things that we can sink, sink our teeth into. But how foolish would it be if I were to have like a table and me with my steak and like a little baby, like a two-month-year-old baby with like a, a steak on the plate? It would be foolishness. The baby can't eat that. No teeth. Like that desire to have fellowship is is there. That desire to feed on deep spiritual things, it's there. But the babies of Corinth cannot eat those things. Why? Because they're babies in Christ. They're milk drinkers. They are still carnal. But then we get into Colossians. And oh my goodness, you open the door to, wow, these are deep spiritual things. It's not to say make the comparison of 1 Corinthians 3 and Colossians 3 based on the flesh alone. There's that aspect too. But what is it that they're able to feed on? 1 Corinthians 3, milk. Colossians 3, 
straight up steak, lobster, pork chops, the whole nine yards. You see, much deeper. It's not to say that the first Corinthian saints can't have what's in Colossians 3, but not yet, not in that state of carnality, not in that state of the flesh, not with the leaven. You see? Now you see the beauty of the separation because the leaven's taken care of and then at the same time, the, this remnant can grow and mature and move on to being a Colossians 3 church. A little asterisk to that because Chloe and her household, they were already there. You see? And so we see in verse, go back to Colossians 3 now. And in Colossians 3, verse 8, present tense, but now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. In verse 9, remember, this is the way of the remnant. In verse 9, this is the way of the remnant. And not a remnant like 1 Corinthians 6 or 1 Corinthians 7 but straight up Colossians 3. This is a remnant, but a deeper remnant. Instead of a remnant that's five foot deep, five feet deep, it's a remnant that's like 10 miles deep. You see, so it's still a remnant, but the deeper end. Saints that can feed on deep spiritual things. And we see this way of the remnant in verse 9. Do not lie to one another. People think, oh, once saved, always saved. So therefore, I can lie. Nope, doesn't work that way. That is not sound doctrine. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deed. That is the old nature. Things of the flesh. And you make these distinctions. Remember how a couple weeks ago we looked at the table? You know, you're at the table and then you make, the, you know, by speech, by behaviors, you say, okay, this is a preschooler. Okay, this is a first grader. This is a third grader. This is a fifth grader. Okay, you make these distinctions among Christians. Now you see the preschooler. Now you have to ask yourself the question, why is this guy a preschooler? Why is this lady a preschooler? Is it a preschooler because they're a brand new believer in Christ? Okay, praise be to the Lord. Let's move on to perfection. Is this a preschooler and they've been a preschooler for three plus years? Okay, that's leaven territory. That's straight up leaven territory. You see? You have to make these distinctions. And where you identify the leaven, these are, and you know, all, also, always exercise grace. Remember, we lead with grace. Our study in the Old Testament, New Testament, we always lead with grace. Remember when Israel would go to war? It's written in the blueprints of war, in, in, the, in, in the rules of engagement. Before you fight Israel, make an offer of peace. It's like, look, you know, I don't want to fight, you know, but, you know, I'm supposed to fight, but here's the offer of peace. And you reject the offer of peace, okay, house of pain. And I say that, you know, according to the rules of engagement of the, the old covenant, new covenant is different, but same concept. We always lead with grace and mercy, always. And as God is reactionary, so too are we reactionary. 
you know, hey, brother, you know, yes, I love you. You know, we exercise, you know, the Christian brotherhood, Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, it's beautiful. But then once you identify leaven, biblical leaven, three plus years preschool, then you have a choice to make. Is this a person that I have to separate? Remember, you respond. As God responds, you respond as a vessel of the Lord. Listen, this is leaven, okay? Just as the Bible says, not even to eat with such a person. And you separate, okay? That's the formula. And a lot of pastors, so-called tough guys, so-called tough guys, they might have the big arms, the hairy chest, the deep voice. They might have it. Tough guy according to the flesh. But the little tiny boys, little tiny boys in the pulpit, why? Because they don't want to correct. They're too afraid to tell a brother, hey, cut this out. To tell a sister, hey, cut this out. They're too afraid. Scaredy cats. Such people are called hirelings, not good. Pastors, keep the house of God clean. Of course, always exercise. We lead with grace and mercy. But understand the blueprints. Understand the formula. Understand that, you know, the, this leaven that was in Corinth, three years uncorrected. Ample time for grace and mercy and love were things that were called to be, but were never called to be stupid. Where were the pastors? Where were the elders? I'm so thankful for Chloe's household. Because imagine young Christians. Imagine like five-year-old Christians. Imagine like 10-year-old Christians. They believe in Jesus Christ. They don't know a lot just because of the knowledge base isn't there. But a 10-year-old bearing the burdens of the saints in Chloe's house. As opposed to a 10-year-old bearing the burdens of believers in Corinth proper. It is not safe for the 10-year-old, but it is of utmost safe safety for in Chloe's house. You see? And when you, my beautiful brother, my beautiful sister, when we make these distinctions, it will help you. It will help you. Don't forget, we have a shield. We also have a sword. We also have the breastplate. We also have the helmet. And don't forget the fishing pole. Don't forget the net. And we have to be wise to the times. Do not lie to one another in verse 9, since you have put off the old man with his deed, with his deeds. In verse 10, and have put on the new man, which is like the, you know, to put on, it's like to sink into the a garment. I like to think, you know, you see like, you know, a little child wearing a big shirt, you know, it's like they sink into the garment. And put on the new man who is renewed or renovated. I love that so much. Renovated. You look at, have you ever talked to a Christian about their testimony? And sometimes you have no idea what their testimony is. You go to a sister. Hey, sister, how long have you been a Christian? Oh, I've been a Christian for 12 years now. Wow, praise be to the Lord. What's your testimony, sister? 
You sit down. You just you two, you and her. And she starts to say how she was a prostitute. And the whole time she's speaking, your mouth is like wide open, like what? You're like shocked, you know, you're like you're with tears in your eyes, what? And then she's done. She lays it all out. She says what she says. Giving praise and glory to the Lord, Son of the Most High. And you two rejoice together. She is a new woman in Christ. And Christ came into her heart. She didn't fight him. She didn't resist him. And he has done a beautiful renovation in her. She has been renovated. And the whole time you're like, like in shock. I cannot believe it. I mean, you saw this lady. She's modest. You thought, okay, she's my sister in Christ. Okay, like, you know, praise be to the Lord. But then she tells you her testimony. And you're just... Yes, in shock, but it's a good shock because you see the hand of the Lord, the renovation that he does. I've had these conversations with Christians. Men, women, men with a history the in the past was the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the strippers, the occult. Women was the exact same. The sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the occult, witchcraft, all kinds of different things. But yet they've been renovated. Brought out of Egypt, brought out of bondage. And they're new men, new women in Christ. New creations in Christ. Straight up gut job. And that's what happens inside of the Christian. That's why you hear us say from time to time, I, I don't care. You're a prostitute. I don't care. You, you, you Violence? I don't care. You, you have anger issues? I don't care. A gambler? I don't care. The occult? I don't care. Wicca? I don't care. Buddhist? Catholic? I don't care. Mormon? J-Dub? I don't care. I don't care about your past. I care about your right here, your right now. And I care about your future. Your eternity. And I wanted to be with the Lord. Now, you come to Christ. You believe in Jesus Christ. Now I care about the sex, the drugs, the, you know, the alcohol, the Buddha, the Mary, the occult, the lies. I, now I care about that because that is the flesh. That is the carnal nature. You see, these are things that we are to put off. Like in verse eight, you know, the, the anger, the wrath, the malice, the blasphemy, the filthy language. These are things that we are to put off the members like in verse 5 to put to death the fornication uncleanness passion evil desire covetousness these are things you know now i care you're a prostitute i don't care if you come to christ praise be to the lord i don't care that you're a prostitute i care that your soul is one with christ but once that transaction happens remember the transactions we speak about in the old testament 
Once that happens, now I care about the prostitution. Now is to say, okay, let's get you cleaned up, my beautiful sister. Let's get you cleaned up. You're in the occult? Okay, now let's get you cleaned up. I don't care about the Wicca. I don't care about this, that, you know, Buddha. I don't care. You come to Christ. Now, if you're listening for the first time, or not just the first time, but if you're listening and you haven't heeded my prior calls to believe in Jesus Christ, hit pause right here, right now. Well, listen what I have to say first. You hit pause and then hit listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to Jesus Christ. You come back, you listen, we grow, we mature together. Together. One in Christ. You see? Just to put off the old nature. Put off the old nature. Carry our crosses. Reckon the old man dead. Reckon the old woman dead. Be buried with Christ. To be dead with Christ. To be crucified with Christ. To be, in verse 1, to be raised with Christ. You see? And like in verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, he is straight up our life. Not just one little aspect. Not just on Sundays. Not just on Wednesdays. Not just on... He's straight up our life. And all these things, once they become effectuated, then you also will appear with him in glory. You see? In verse 10, and have put on the new man who is renewed or renovated in knowledge, which translates as discernment according to the image of him who created him. You have to look at the fruit. Jesus Christ says, look at the fruit. And when you look at the fruit, you'll see this is the flesh or this is the spirit. And that's how you'll know when you look at the fruit. You look at a family, you look at the wife, you look at the husband, you look at the kids and you examine the fruit. A lot of pastors today, it's becoming more popular. But I'm doing my air quotes and they say, oh, don't be a fruit inspector. That's what they say. Don't be a fruit inspector. You know why they say that? It's because they're trying to trick. They don't want you to look at their fruit. They don't want you to look at their disheveled wives. They don't want you to look at their kids that are basket cases doing the occult and sexually active. They don't want you to because if you did look at the fruit in their life, biblically speaking, they would be disqualified from being pastor. And they say, oh, you know, don't be a fruit inspector. It's, it's growing in fellowships. Don't be a fruit inspector. Oh, we're called to love. Let's just love on people and let God take care of the rest. Look at Corinth. God took care of Corinth through vessel Paul and vessel Chloe. God took care of Corinth. He cleaned house. But pastors today, they are telling saints, don't be fruit inspectors. Don't be fruit inspectors. What does the Lord say? He says, look at the fruit. If you have a pastor that says, don't be a fruit inspector, jump ship. He's probably saying don't be a fruit inspector because he doesn't want you to look at the fruit in his house. Daughter that's sexually active, sons that are sexually active, worshiping Buddha. He doesn't want you to be a fruit inspector in his home. Why? Because biblically, he would be disqualified from even teaching the Bible. He would be disqualified from standing at the pulpit. He would be disqualified from pastoral ministry. Ministry altogether, but you know, especially pastoral ministry. He would be disqualified. 
And so they stand in the pulpit and say, oh, don't be a fruit inspector. We're called to love. We're called to be gracious. And you know what's happening in churches among the saints? Just like Paul's fear, Paul's fear is coming into play. Where he says, you might well put up with it, Corinth. What is happening in churches today? They're putting up with it. What do I say to you? To the remnant? Don't put up with it. That's why I say, hit the eject button. Jump ship. You see? We look at the fruit and you'll see flesh and spirit. You'll see it. You'll see it. You're talking with a guy and he starts, you know, dropping all these curse words and, you know, talking about, you know, strippers and prostitutes and all these things. And, you know, okay, you know. Oh, yeah, you know, where you, you, you cut the conversation short and, you know, okay, look, this is the flesh. Now, it begs another question. Well, why is the fruit that way? If it's you, when you look at fruit and you see the flesh, you're talking with a lady and the lady starts talking about, you know, all the sex capades and the drugs and, you know, the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. It's like, okay, this is the flesh. But then now it makes another question. Why is it the flesh? Is it because the person is a baby? Is it because the person is apostate? Or is it because the person is a wolf? And each category has a separate response. If it's a baby, okay, come on, let's grow. Put aside those things which so easily ensnare you. If it's apostate, okay, you know, that's handled a different way. If it's a wolf, that is handled an entirely different way. You see? Building worker, each has its own appropriate response. Now, that's why we say you have to listen to our study through 1 Corinthians and get yourself caught up because you learn to make the distinction between field and worker. We learn these things. Remember, Colossians 3, this is like post-grad. This isn't like, you know, Paul says in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 3, like, you know, I, I want to teach you spiritual things, deep spiritual things. But I can't. Now, if you're a pastor, if you're a teacher, have you ever encountered that? Where you know very intensely deep spiritual things. You know them. Not in a prideful sense, but like in your intimacy with the word of God. Where like the formula is right in intimacy with the word of God. And you're a pastor, you're a teacher. But based on the Christian, based on the saint that you're speaking to, you cannot give them deep spiritual things. Have you ever been in that situation? It's sad in one degree. It's not sad when a person is a brand new baby, a brand new believer. What's what's really sad is when a person has been a believer for three years, five years, ten years. And you cannot tell them deep spiritual things. Deep spiritual things. You cannot. Why? It's just like giving steak to a two-month-old. It's like giving pork chops. They can't consume it. You see? And if you like shove it down, you could kill them. It just, it can't be done. 
But then we get into the rugby scenario. I mean, if they're babies because they're babies, that's one thing. We get into the rugby scenario. Remember, our, listen to our study through Romans. You'll understand, you know, you humble yourself. Pastor, teacher, you humble yourself. And then that person, that child grows and matures. You see? And that's not just for a pastor. That's for everybody. You're a more mature Christian. You have these deeper understandings. And then all of a sudden you have a baby Christian. Well, why is it that they're a baby? They're a brand new believer. Okay. You humble yourself. And then you play rugby with that kid. The kid grows. The kid you know, learns and matures and gets stronger. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, they have this understanding. And now they're able to receive these deeper things. But specifically for pastors and teachers, have you ever been in that environment to where you, you're you speaking with people, but you are restricted from deep spiritual things because, not because of you, but because of them. And that's like Paul, like in 1 Corinthians 3. Yes, there's this spiritual food. I want to give you these deep spiritual things, but I cannot. Why? Because you're still carnal. You're still carnal. You know, Chloe's house is different. That's in a different category. Chloe's house is like a little quasi-Colossi, a little quasi-Philippi in, 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 in Corinth. More mature. Beautiful women. Beautiful women. I cannot wait to meet these women. Every single one of them. Heroes. To me, at least. Because when everybody was falling, look at them. They were standing firm. Oh, man, it's so awesome. I like tough. Just so you know, I like tough. I don't care. Male, female, young, old, I don't care. I just like tough. And so we get into verse 11, still in Colossians 3. Now, remember, this is in the newness of Christ. This is somebody who has been renovated. This is the newness of Christ. The old man is dead. The old woman is dead. And what do we see in verse 11? Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free. Now, barbarian is like foreigner. Scythian is like savage. Slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. That's what's so beautiful. The remnant. It's so powerful. You see, neither Jew nor Greek, circumcised nor incircumcised. And I love how barbarian and Scythian are included, foreigner and savage. I mean, have you ever met people where they tell you their testimony just like the prostitute? You sit down with the lady. She tells you her her testimony and she says she was a prostitute. How she was pimped out before she came to Christ. And then, you know, she found the Lord or the Lord found her. And now she's a believer. She's been renovated in Christ. It's like, whoa, that's like straight up savage life. And now look, she's all cleaned up. You see? Or a guy who is just a straight barbarian, straight up like like just the ruffian. And now it's like, what? This you that was you? You did that? You behaved in this manner? I love that. And sometimes, you know, I've had these conversations with Christians, adult Christians, and they say, well, you know, I grew up in the church and they kind of feel bad, like, like down on themselves because, you know, I, I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a prostitute. They feel bad about themselves. I wasn't a prostitute. 
Uh, you know, I, I wasn't in prison. I didn't go to jail. You know, I didn't do drugs. I didn't. If that's you, that's like the ultimate testimony. That's the most beautiful testimony. Because you've been undefiled from this world. Don't feel bad. And I've had these conversations with brothers in Christ, even sisters in Christ. They feel bad because it's like, wow, you know, I wasn't like, you know, sexually active. So now I can't relate to these people. I wasn't a prostitute. I wasn't a stripper. I didn't do drugs. I didn't do this. And I can't relate to these people in this dark world. And man, I'm so bummed out because look, you were a stripper because look, you went to jail. You went to prison. You did this. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Rejoice. Rejoice. You're undefiled from the things of the world. Who are your parents? Who raised you? I want to meet him. I want to meet her. Who are they? I want to, because they did something so incredibly beautiful. Next to impossible. But in Christ, nothing's impossible. And this is the remnant. Neither Jew nor Greek, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, sitting, foreign, savage, foreigner, savage, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. You know, carnally speaking, we see cliques everywhere. Sometimes you see them in churches, and a lot of times you see them in churches. You know, you get the popular people over here, you know, the nerds over here, you know, the educated over here, the rich over here, the poor over here, you know, the white people over here, the Asians over here, the black people over here, and you know, all kind, the old people over here, the young people over here, the, the beatniks over here, and you see all this segregation, the cliques. But among the remnant, we're one in Christ. One in Christ. And very weird to see it. Very weird to see it according to the flesh. I mean, like sometimes, like, like if you're like, like for, for, for my, if you're like a nerd, say you're a nerd, like according to the flesh, you're a Christian, you believe in that you're the remnant, but you're a nerd. You don't have to, Act like you're popular in order to be popular. You you be you in Christ. Our identity is in Christ. I have such beautiful fellowship. And according to the flesh, the guy's a straight up nerd. You know, according to the flesh, the gal's a straight up nerd. But according to the spirit, my brother, my sister in Christ. You see? You know, according to the flesh, you see like white guy with black guy with Asian guy with Hispanic guy with, you know, Russian with whatever, you know, the Arab guy with all kinds of different people. You see tall, you see short, you see fat, you see poor, you see rich, you see skinny, you see the nerd, you see the, 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 the popular, you know, you, you see that, but yet you see unity in Christ. I remember hanging out with some guys and we had it all. We had like the old, the old, the middle age, you know, black, white, you know, we had a nerd in there. And it's like people even commented like, how do you guys know each other? It was so, it was like, it was so like, it was so beautiful because a non-believer, you know, approached us and it was like, you know, he sees us laughing and and he's like, how in the world do you guys know each other? How, what is this? What is this group? 
we're Christians. If you're a nerd, you don't have to like act like you're popular, you know, for, so you can fit in. Because when you're in the remnant, it's like it's a gimme. Like we're we're one. And that's what I love so much about verse 11. There is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, or foreigner, savage, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. I mean, you see like a former, a former meth head who's a believer in Jesus Christ hanging out with like a nerd, you know, the black guy, Asian guy, old people, skinny people, fat people. And it's like, what? According to the flesh, it's like, who? What kind of group is this? I mean, it's not like, you know, you can see, like, with carnal eyes, it's like, what in the world kind of group is this? What? Why are they even laughing? How is it that these people are even together? How is it that they're even together? Because this is unexplainable. You know, the guy, you know, uh, this guy arrived in the, you know, uh, 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 like a, like a, like a, uh, like a, the putt putt car, you know, like a little, you know, pop, 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 you know, the, the, those cars that make the noise, you know, it's about ready to die. You know, a car that's about ready to die. He pulls into the parking lot and then the other guy pulls in with like a nice car, you know, and then a fat guy comes rolling in and well, not rolling. I mean, like, you know, pulls in. I didn't say rolling in like he's rolling, but you know, the fat guy comes rolling in. Then the nerd comes rolling in, you know, and then you throw a lady in there, then another lady and then like a little girl, little boy. And it's like you got the black, the white, the Asian, the Russian, the whatever Arab, you know, and all kinds. It's like, what in the world? What is this? What kind of group is this? What kind of gathering is this? You get the old people over here laughing it up, yucking it up with the 10 year old. The 10 year old nerd is with the, you know, the, 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 the 12 year old popular girl. It's like, what? What in the world is this club? Carnally speaking, it's not a club. It's called the remnant. It's called the remnant. Where you see cliques in fellowships, that is the flesh. That is the carnal nature. And it cannot be mandated. And pastors sometimes, they attempt to mandate it, but it cannot be mandated. You can't say like, you know, hey, you popular kids, you hang out with these nerds over here. No, you can't mandate it. I mean, you can, but it's hokey. I mean, have you ever seen like a, a nerd try to socialize with the popular kids? It's like, it's like, it's very awkward. But when the word is taught, when the word is taught and it is understood among all different age groups, among all different people, male, female, black, white, Asian, Russian, old people, young people. And when the word goes forth and people respond to the word, yielding to the spirit of the Lord in accordance to his word. And when that happens, you have saints who understand, wow, it's pleasing to the Lord. My my life is an aroma to the Lord and it is pleasing to him to humble myself. If I'm a popular kid, I can hang out with the nerds. And you know what? I love this nerd 
you know, or for the nerd to be like, wow, I can hang out with this guy who doesn't know calculus, you know, and it's like, wow, I don't look down on this, you know, this dumb guy who doesn't know calculus, but, you know, he's my brother in Christ. She's my sister in Christ. You have the old guy who says the same. You have the old lady, white lady, black lady, you know, Asian, Russian, old, young, skinny, fat, rich, poor, Jew, Greek, uncircumcised, circumcised, barbarian, Scythian, foreigner, savage, slave, free, knowing that Christ is all and in all. That's the remnant. That's the remnant. Clicks, that's of the flesh. Where you see clicks in a fellowship, that's a sign that pastor is entering crazy town. That's a sign. See these little markers. When you're a pew Christian, when you're in the field, when you're a field Christian, when you're a building Christian, now you have to listen to our study through 1 Corinthians to understand 1 Corinthians 3. Listen to our, you understand, you make these distinctions. But when you're sitting in the pews, these are things that you can take notice of. You see like, wow, there's, there's, there's a little click over here. A little click over here, a little click over here. Why do we see these clicks? Hmm. Why do I see these clicks? I mean, we shouldn't see the clicks, but yet we see the clicks. Why is that? Knowing that it's the flesh. Why is it that there's flesh? Why is it that there's the flesh that is evident? Well, now comes doctrine. Who's the pastor? What does he teach? You see? It can't be mandated. I know a lot of pastors, they like to mandate it. Hey, old people, you shouldn't be doing like this. So you need to mingle over here. And so you're like, you're sitting in the back of the church and you see like a white head over here, a white head over here. I meant white hair, you know? See white hair over here, white hair. And then like in... And then like three weeks, you see the white heads back together. You know, it's just like because the pastor said this. And then like, you know, three weeks later, you see the white heads all together again. That's the carnal nature. That's the flesh. But it's so powerful when you see the remnant. And people wonder. I've had, you know, to be in a group of people, male and female, to be in a group of people, and have like strangers approach us and be like, uh, you know, like, sorry to disturb you, but what group are you with? What, what, what kind of, what is this going on here? You know, one guy, I remember he was like laughing. He's like, what in the world is happening here? And he said, listen, we're Christians. We believe in Jesus Christ. And somebody had a little side conversation, you know, planted a seed, told them the gospel. He made a choice. It's so beautiful. Like even the world will wonder. Like what? What is this? I mean, you know, you see a nerd, you expect him to be with the nerds. You see the popular kid, you expect him to be with the popular. You see the old people, you expect him to be with the old people. You see the fat guy, you expect him to be with other fatties. You see the skinny guy, you expect him to be with skinny. You see the poor, you expect him to be with the poor. You see the rich, you expect him to be with the rich. But what's up with this group? A ragtag bunch of people. What is this? It's the remnant. It's the way. 
You see? Now remember, this is like remnant mentality. And not just remnant mentality, a remnant reality in the sake of Colossi, the Colossian saints. This is a remnant reality. Now, you have a remnant in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when the separation happens. But now you have babies. Remember, they're milk drinkers. Now they have to move to the Corinth type in terms of maturing, not move to Colossi, but move to Colossi in a spiritual sense in terms of maturing in Christ. In verse 12, therefore, as the elect of God. Notice this phraseology here. As the elect of God, holy and beloved, hagios and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, these are attributes that are found in God. Old Testament and New Testament, these are attributes that are found in God and in His Son. And as such, these are attributes that are found in His people, in His temple. Can you see? Can you see? How beautiful this is for the remnant. This ministry is a ministry for the remnant. The Lord didn't call me to teach the dead. He called me to teach the living. This ministry is specifically for the remnant of the last days. And we have to understand these things because it's hardcore. It's going to get even worse. Just like we studied last week, you know, and when the world is dark, when things get crazy, we have to be hardcore. That cannot be mandated, but it can be taught as we study the Word of God together. Verse 13, bearing with one another. Now, let's pause here for a moment. Bearing with one another. I love this so much because it translates as to put up with one another. Absolutely, to put up with one another. But it is also to endure and suffer with one another. I'm going to say something to my veteran believers. Believers, brothers and sisters in Christ who have a history in the military. In, according to the flesh. You know exactly what it's like to put up with one another. You know exactly what it's like to endure and suffer and go places and do things that in some cases few can stomach. And in that environment, you also know how tight that group of people can be. A unity that is thicker than blood. People who would you would die for and that they would die for you. A closeness than any, any group. And that's how this translates in the Greek. To bear with, another, with, with one another, which is to put up with one another. 
But don't forget, it is also to endure and suffer with one another. For tight military units, you've experienced this to my veteran friends, and you know who you are. How much more is it according to the faith? Very, very difficult to find, especially in the last days. Very, very difficult. Satan does not want it to happen. This is like straight up Acts material, the book of Acts. When it does, understand what is happening according to the Spirit. Hagios, straight up Hagios. Koinonia, Ecclesia, Episunagage. It's special. It is holy. It is of the Lord. And that's the behavioral attributes of the remnant. To bear with one another, in verse 13, and forgiving one another. Remember, in these earth suits of ours, we're still going to have friction. We're still going to have friction with one another because we are in these earth suits. But how do we respond? Remember, in order for iron to sharpen iron, there is an abrasive aspect. I mean, have you ever seen iron sharpening iron? Like, you put like a sword on the little anvil thing or whatever that is. You put the sword on it and, you know, you take this hammer and the hammer has to actually strike the sword in order for it to be sharpened. Iron is sharpening iron. There is that abrasive aspect. Sometimes you even see the sparks fly. Rubber cannot sharpen iron. Styrofoam cannot sharpen iron. Balloons cannot sharpen iron. And I speak facetiously in saying these items that are incapable of sharpening. It is only iron that can sharpen iron. And there's still that abrasive aspect. We're in these earth suits. There's still going to be friction. But that is part and parcel of iron sharpening iron. Christians say that all the time. Oh, it's iron sharpens iron. And it's like, wait a second. You were just at the strip club last week. You ain't iron. In fact, the Bible says I have to separate from you. Oh, iron sharpens iron. So, you know, therefore, thus saith the Lord, you have to do this. Wait a second. Wait a second. And it's like the fruit, you look at the fruit. Aren't you a a raging alcoholic? How can you, how can you have sobriety of minds to even hear the spirit? Have you not tested the spirits and you're telling me thus saith the Lord? That is dangerous. You're not iron. It is iron that sharpens iron. Balloons don't sharpen iron. Rubber cannot sharpen iron. It is iron that sharpens iron. The question is, who among us is iron? You see, if anyone in verse 13, if anyone has a complaint or a fault against uh, uh, against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must do. So you also must do. You see, this is the way of the remnant. You say, wait a second, if it really is the remnant, why is there fault against another? Well, we're in these earth suits. 
We're in these earth suits. You're still going to have beef with another person. It's, it's the flesh. When the flesh is completely dead, you're going to be dead because the flesh is completely dead. See, we move on to perfection. But do you also see the extreme danger when all these things that are attributes of the leaven and behavior of the leaven, there is extreme danger when exercised with leaven. I mean, the, the, the remnant, these behavior traits of the, 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 the remnant. But there is extreme danger when you do these things with leaven. I mean, take a 10-year-old, take a, 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 no, a 13-year-old boy in Colossae where, you know, it's safe for him to do these things. And then, you know, uh, say he's going to go on a foreign exchange and he's going to go to Corinth. Do you think it's safe for a parent, the, a Colossian saint, to tell his Colossian son, son, go ahead and go to the big church that's in Corinth? Is it safe? Or a 13-year-old girl? For a parent in Colossae to tell her Colossian, to, for parents to tell the Colossian daughter, you're going to go on this foreign exchange, this school program, and you're going to be in Corinth for a while. And daughter, we want you to go to this church over here. Go to the big church. A lot of people there you can meet. Go to the big church. You can meet a lot of people. Do you know how dangerous that is? Do you think this 13-year-old, this 13-year-old Colossian saint, can she bear the burdens of Corinth? Yes, it is biblically true that we bear with one another and our burdens and all these things. But it is not safe for the 13-year-old girl to bear in the burdens of the guy who's having sex with his dad's wife. The alcoholic the extortioner. It is not safe for her to do that. You know what you do, parent? You say, hey, 13-year-old Colossian daughter, I know you, you, you know, the, the, you, there's this situation where you're going to be in Corinth, except don't go to the big church. Go to this home fellowship. The lady's name is Chloe. Go to her household. It is safe. You continue to grow. You can continue to grow and to bear burdens over there. It is safe for you. You see? We make these distinctions. I'll tell you a big problem. This is a big warning. A big warning. You know that I don't want to hurt anybody's feelers. But one of the attributes of leaven is leaven tends to guilt Christians. You see? If you're a remnant believer, and we have to be straight with ourselves. If you're a baby Christian and you're a brand new believer, praise be to the Lord. But if you're a baby Christian and you've been a Christian for 10 years, not good. We have to be straight up. It's not to say like, okay, you're out. It's to say, okay, repent. Put aside those things which so easily ensnare you and then let us grow. Let us mature together. But for the remnant, if you've been 
guilted to exercise your Christian walk with the carnal inside the church. This is a person who's been a believer for years, but they're a baby and they've guilted you. Do not succumb to that guilt. This kind of guilt, which accuses the brethren, it's unholy. It's of Satan. It's an attack. And I tell you, common culprits of this guilt, common culprits are pastors, elders, parents, and grandparents. Those are common culprits to guilting Christians, guilting the remnant. People who seemingly have a level of authority, but it's in the flesh. Oh, but my mom wants this, she has authority. My dad wants this, he has authority. And they do have authority in the flesh. A pastor who biblically has authority of, you know, of spiritual matters. But if the formula is not right in the pastor, you cannot listen to him. You cannot heed what he says. And when you experience this, and I speak to the remnant, when you experience this, no, not if, when you experience it, know and understand that it is an attack of Satan, the accuser of the brethren, who was a murderer from the beginning. You see? In the example we gave earlier where, say for example, the Colossian parents, straight up Colossians 3 type, you know, very mature in Christ. And they're raising up their daughter the way that she should go in Christ. She's 13 years old. And the parents say, okay, we're going to send you to Corinth. But, you know, we don't want you to go to the big church in Corinth. We want you to go to this home fellowship in Chloe's house. Look for Chloe. Ask for Chloe. You see, we're going to send you there. Go to Chloe's house. It's prearranged, so she doesn't ask her. Chloe's going to come, you know, meet her and, you know, bring her. Nice and safe. Safe travels. But say, for example, a pastor of Corinth, the big church. The pastor catches wind of it. Catches, you know, he, he finds out about it. Then he gives the Colossian saint a phone call. Oh, we heard that you're sending your daughter to Corinth. How come you don't want her to fellowship here with the big church? And then the guilt trip happens. That's not very Christ-like. That's not very Christian of you. Look, she can exercise these uh, Christian attributes here in this big church in Corinth. Look, it's nice and safe for her. How come you don't want her to do this? How You sound kind of judgmental. Then you see the guilt trip. Oh, that's not very Christian of you. The Christian life means that you should do this. You should have her over here. The Christian life says that, you know, that she can join. Look, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. 
We're all one in Christ. Look, unity, unity. You know, we, we read the Chan book, you know, unity. We read the Chan book. Oh, look, crazy love. A little guilt trip. Parents do it. What if there's a grandparent who goes, you know, a grandparent who goes to the church in Corinth? A 1 Corinthians 3 type. Babies, milk drinkers. And the grandparents catches wind. Oh, my grandson, my granddaughter, they're coming to Corinth. Hey, fellowship over here. Hey, grandmama, I love you, but nope, not happening. We're going to go to the home fellowship in Chloe's house. Whoa, Chloe, she's very judgmental. She doesn't, you know, she's very judgmental. She doesn't like to fellowship with us. She's a little weird. She doesn't like the fellowship with us. She says, you know, she says these things are bad and all these things. But look, this guy, look, he's just, he's just expressing love and God is love. And can't we just love and all just get along? And that's what happens. It's the guilt trip. It's the attack of Satan. Because Satan wants the 13-year-old to bear in the burdens of the sex, the drugs, the alcohol. Why? Because he's a fisherman. You see? The guy who's having sex with his dad's wife, is it safe for him to have fellowship with the 13-year-old? No way. No way. You see? Pastor gives the guilt trip. Parents give the guilt trip. Grandparents give the guilt trip. Oh, you know, you think you're elitist. You think you're this. And oh, you think you're that. And oh, you're holier than thou. Don't judge lest you be judged. And the whole time, remember, my people perish for lack of knowledge. The whole time. Satan has a big smile on his face because he's trying to he's trying to catch the remnant so that he can destroy them and kill them and drag them to hell. You see? But when you understand the maturing and growing the leaven has to be taken care of is to take the remnant out of the main. So the big church in Corinth is now little church in Corinth. The remnant or the the leaven, gone. You know, dirty pastor, gone. You see? Dirty grandmama, gone. Grandparents, gone. Parents, gone. They're no longer influencing this remnant. Now this remnant... Of Corinth, they're babies. But it is safe for them to now bear in one another's burdens. Because the leaven is gone. The remnant, yes, they're babies. But then, you know, you have the instruction in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 and 8 and moving on to perfection. Now, a church like that, like a 2 Corinthians type. I could understand a a Colossian parent sending their 13-year-old daughter there, but I would say, you know, send her to Chloe's house. It's much safer in Chloe's house. 
So we have to make these distinctions, and I urge you to make these distinctions. Understanding that Satan is a fisherman too, because what happens, a lot of people, well-meaning perhaps, they give the guilt trips. And guilt trips is of the flesh. You see? That's what happens. It's exactly what happens. And what when Christians do not have this understanding, even among the remnant, like babies among the remnant, like 1 Corinthians chapter 6 type. Yes, they're babies. Yes, they're of the remnant. But they do not have this understanding. Now, say for example, you have a pastor who comes to those Christians and says, Oh, this isn't good. This isn't good. This isn't very Christian of you to separate. Who told you to separate? Paul? Oh, no, no, no. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Why don't you join back to this brother? So it's okay. He's having sex with his dad's wife. No big deal. You see? And babies don't understand this because they can't comprehend. You see? Instead of the Colossian type becoming the Corinthian type, it's the other way around. The Corinthian type becomes the Colossian type. But in the last days, remember the four categories of the last days church? The last days church is either false, it is apostate, it is entering apostasy, or it is true. You see? You choose. Ball's in your court. But these are the blueprints of the last days. And we have to be wise. Don't fall for the guilt trip. You know, pastors where it is safe to, of the pastors that where it is safe to heed their instruction and obey the pastor, they never guilt trip. They never guilt trip. They'll lay it out and, you know, balls in your court. But they never guilt trip like, well, you should it'd be very Christian of you to do this. It's not very Christian of you to do that. So why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Look, bearing this guy's burdens, bearing this lady's burdens. Where it is biblically true that Christians, that we bear one another's burdens. But never, ever, ever forget the it is also written. Remember, we're called to be loving, gracious. Merciful, forgiving, wise. Never, ever, ever are we called to be stupid. We're called to be wise. And so we see here in verse 14. But above all, even more, like all these things, how beautiful it is. But above all, even more, above all these things, put on love. Remember the greatest gift, 1 Corinthians 13, the greatest gift is love which is the bond or the joint and ligament of perfection or completeness. And that's what love is, the greatest gift. It is the joint and ligament of perfection. You see? Because we do these things in love. It's not a hateful thing to say, hey, you know, we don't want to send our third... As Colossians, we don't want to send our 13-year-old daughter to the, the big church in Corinth. We want to send her to Chloe's house. Now, Leaven, the carnal, they can't see that as an act of love. They say, oh, that's so mean-spirited. Oh, that's so hateful. 
Oh, look, the Bible says that we're supposed to be one. Unity, unity. We read the chant books. We read the coalition books. We're supposed to have unity. There is a unity of the last days. But as that is the path of destruction under the mother of harlots who has whorish daughters. That's a unity according to the flesh. But a unity of the spirit? That's one with Christ. The real Jesus, not the fake one that the Bible prophesies there's going to be a lot of. You see? And so we see here in verse 15. And let the peace of God. Now this is Kai. And this is Kai. There's inclusivity with Kai. Remember our prior studies, especially in the uh, 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 prophetical studies. And so we see here in verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Now, this is, we read out of the New King James Version. This is almost identical in, you know, many translations. But in the Greek, in the Greek, it translates better as Kai, which is, you know, and, but there's inclusivity with Kai. The peace of God will rule in your hearts. You see, it is definitive. It's not verse like verse 15 out of the New King James and the King James and certain other translations says, you know, let the peace of God rule in your heart. It, it almost sounds like, you know, like, you know, to let the peace of God, it's like, okay, I'm going to allow this to happen. But that's not how the Greek captures it. The Greek captures it as the peace of God will rule in your hearts. There is more a definite aspect to it. Which is how the blessings become and are certainly a sure thing. Remember, confidence in the circumcision. Because look at the prerequisites. Remember, we're in Colossae. We're we're, we're looking at Colossian saints. We're not looking at 1 Corinthians 3, 3 saints. We're looking at Colossian saints. And when all these things, remember there's certain prerequisites and presuppositions and these earlier understandings and earlier, uh, not just understandings, but in order to apply them to one's life, such as here in Colossae and these Colossian saints, it translates here in verse 15 where it says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. It's better translated from the Greek as that the peace of God will rule in your hearts. You see? And that's the confidence of the circumcision. It's not the peace of God might. It's that the peace of God will. You remember our study through Philippians? And it's a peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And this peace of God that rules in hearts of the remnant, to which also you were called in one body, in one body, and be thankful. Always be always thankful. You know, it's always thankfulness unto God. Always. And so we see here in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And this let, it's like the same as verse 15. Where in the Greek it's more definitive that the word of Christ will reside or will dwell in you. You see, it's deep. God's word is deep. It's not just like surface stuff. It's deep in the heart. 
It's not on the skin. It's deep in the heart, to the bone, deep down to the marrow. It's deep. And you can see the fruit of this. Let the word of let the word of Christ dwell in you richly or abundantly in all wisdom. In all wisdom. Remember our study last week that this wisdom it comes from the Father and the Son. That's from chapter two, verse two to two and three. It comes from the Father and the Son, which is why we pray in the Spirit. Not to the Spirit. You open you open up to the pneumos, you're open to the pneumos. Teaching and admonishing. Teaching and admonishing. You see, this is straight up ministry material. Paul doesn't mention in 1 Corinthians 3, he doesn't mention that, hey, you guys are teachers. Hey, you guys can teach. No, these are babies. 1 Corinthians 3. But to the Colossian saints, when all these things are effectuated in maturity and in honoring the Lord and in obedience, now comes the teaching and admonishing. Remember, the formula is in, then, through. In, then, through. In, then, through. The Lord does the work inside of you. And in the course of time, he does the work through you. And that's what we see here in Colossians chapter 3. You take 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's the first chapter after the separation. The leaven is now gone. You take 1 Corinthians 6. Of that group, they cannot be teachers. They cannot be pastors because they're students. They have to learn. They're babies. They're preschoolers. They have to learn. And the 1 Corinthians 6 bunch, they move to the Colossian type in terms of grade. That's why we see Colossians as like, you know, a 6 Corinthians, a quasi 6 Corinthians. And now comes, you don't see Paul saying to in 1 Corinthians 6, hey, you guys are teachers. No, you see it here, teaching and admonishing. In is 1 Corinthians 6. You see? 1 Corinthians 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and then, you know, 2 Corinthians, and then Galatians, and then um, uh, Ephesians, and then Philippians, and then Colossians. And once this is not just understood, but once it is applied, now you're getting into ministry material. This is how saints become move from the pew to the pulpit, or from the field to the worker, or from the building to the worker. This is how it happens. It's through maturity and obedience to the Lord, which is maturity in itself. You see? Teaching in verse 16, teaching and admonishing. Now, a little side note I have to say about that. You know, this is ministry material. What's happening today is pastors are recruiting a 1 Corinthians 3 type, the milk drinkers. They just want the warm bodies. In some cases, non-believers. That's wrong. If you're a pastor and you do that, you need to repent. Repent and go on hiatus. Get yourself right with the Lord. That is not the biblical formula. It is not safe. It is not obedient. You, pastor, are in disobedience. And you, elder, are also in disobedience. Because you are overseers. That's if. That's if the Lord called you into overseer ministry. If he hasn't, well, now you know why. Because his house is a mess. You see? 
big problem in the church today. Pastors are picking the milk drinkers to serve in ministry positions. It cannot be done. They're recruiting. But the Lord has to call a person. Unless the Lord builds a house, they fail. All who attempt to build, they fail. The Lord has to build. Teaching and admonishing one another in verse 16 in Psalms. How beautiful is this? So you have through maturity and in maturity comes the teaching and admonishing. This is how like teaching ministries begin. And as is written in the Psalms to those who have ears. <laughs> in the Psalms. You see, this is how pew to pulpit happens. This is how Fields to worker happens. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is non-carnal songs. Now, you know, is this, does this, you know, for example, like, you know, a little comment I have to say about spiritual songs. It's non-carnal songs. Does it? Does this mean that, you know, is the Lord calling pastors only? No. Pastors, elders, bishops, deacons evangelists, serving in tables, all kinds of different areas of ministry. It's not for pastors only. It's much deeper because just like we say, it just so happens we study this on Wednesday where you see it's not Moses alone. You see, the Lord has provided these people, be it elders, be it you know, captains and uh, 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 priests, all these different judges, the Lord has provided. But it's the same thing in the church. The Lord will call people into ministry. But he doesn't choose the milk drinkers for ministry. I mean, you know, he chooses people, but to be milk drinkers, but for ministry, that's a different ballgame. You know, every every single Christian drinks, has drunk milk at one point in his or her life. Every single Christian. It's not to look down on the milk drinker and be like, oh my goodness, how dare you be a milk drinker? I mean, in some cases, it's a big, wow, you know, you've been a Christian for 20 years, it's kind of shameful that you're a milk drinker. That's when you get into like straight up leaven material. But ministry material is found in obedience and in the course of time. And you see all these things that are definitive. And you see the peace of God, not, you know, let the peace of God rule. It's like straight up the peace of God is straight up ruling in your heart. That the, In verse 16, the word of Christ, the, the logos of Christ is straight up residing inside of you. You see inside of his temple. Temple, which is you. Then you see these ministries. The Lord raises up these ministries. He says here in verse 16, spiritual songs. We have to be very careful in these last days. Non-carnal songs and how it translates. And we get into problems with certain ministries that are centered around so-called worship music, which are carnal in nature, seemingly spiritual. I meant like Hillsong. Hillsong is in the news. They've been in the news a lot. 
All these pastors have to step down. A lot of sex. You see? Sex, drugs, alcohol, the whole nine yards. A lot of pastors, ministry leaders stepping down. Why are they stepping down? Well, it's because they've been caught. They should have never been in those positions. You see, pastors are using, they're, they're, they're using milk drinkers. That cannot be done. Milk drinkers don't have the sound doctrine. Milk drinkers are the novices. And Satan's a fisherman. And Satan loves the milk drinkers. You know why? It's There's several aspects. Milk drinkers aren't a threat. But of the milk drinkers, he can make look so crazy that the non-believer wants nothing to do with it. And so the Colossian saint speaks to a person about Christ. And this person they're speaking to says, I want nothing to do with Christianity because I was in Corinth and I saw there was a guy having sex with his dad's wife. I want nothing to do with Christianity. You see, Satan loves the milk drinkers. Why? Number one, the milk drinkers aren't a threat. Number two, he can use the milk drinker to... Point out the buffoonery of the milk drinker to prevent people from coming to Christ. It's a roadblock. And so you talk to the non-believer. The non-believer says, nope, I want nothing to do with Christianity because I see what happens. If that's you, if you happen to be listening and you haven't heeded my prior call to repent and receive Jesus Christ, I understand in one regard, I in complete, total agreement with you. I, When you see the corruption in the church, and it's going to get worse. Listen, it is prophesied. Remember the four categories of the last day's church is false, apostate, entering apostasy, or it is true. Those are the four categories. And so you're basing your decision on three, which rightfully so. I want nothing. I want you to have nothing to do with the false church. I want nothing. I want you to have nothing to do with the apostate. And also nothing to do with the those entering apostasy. I want nothing you I want you to have nothing to do with them. But there's a remnant where the formula is right. What is being taught is right. The formula is right in the teacher. The formula is right in the pulpit, in the pews, the formula is right in the worship team. The formula is right. Godly men, godly women. Not Laodicea, straight up Philadelphia and Smyrna. And if you're a non-believer and you're not believing in Jesus Christ because of what you see in the church, identify what kind of church it is. See? And I've had these long conversations with people with this, you know, I thought, you know, if it's really the Holy Spirit, then, you know, look at the church. If it's really the Holy Spirit, if there's supposed to be church unity, then why are there so many different factions? Why are... These things are prophesied. I mean, you see, you, you, you point the finger and you see, oh, there, there's the, the factions over here, factions over there. But rather than see the faction, see the fulfillment, my friend. And don't, don't blame Jesus Christ 
the real Jesus, don't blame him for what you see in churches. If it's the false, if it's the uh, uh, the false apostate or entering apostasy, that's not Christ, the real Jesus. It's one of the phonies that are prophesied. I mean, if you base your decision on the real Christ, that's another that's another matter. But the real loves you. The real Jesus loves you and wants unity with you. But you have to repent. And you have to believe in him. And I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. You hit pause and then you listen to the message how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Jesus Christ right here, right now. That's what's so beautiful about the last days. I mean, you know, people are like, oh, I, I, I want to be raptured out of here. And, you know, pre-tribulation rapture, you know, which isn't biblical. But the pre-tribulation rapture, like, oh, yeah, we're going to be raptured out of here. It's like, what? This is like, you know, like I've had conversation with Satanists. Straight up Satanists. Like they worship Satan. Straight up. And to have these conversations with the Satanists. And the, the Satanists are like, dude, this world is crazy. And I've had these conversations with them. And they're like, dude, this world is crazy. Look, I see this. I see this. I see this. And I'm like, yeah, you see this too? That's in the Bible. You see this too? That's also in the Bible. You see this in the church? That's in the Bible. It's bad for them. And they're like, wow, I never knew that. And for Satanists to ask questions about deep spiritual things. And sometimes these Satanists are former Christians. They left the church because of the corruption and hypocrisy they saw in the church. Which is good that they left. But it's bad what they left too. That's why you hear us say jump ship. Jump ship. There's a better way. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light, but we have to understand these things. Be very careful. We're living in very dark times. Very, very dark times. In one sense, it's terrible. In one sense, it's beautiful. One sense, terrible because of, you know, perilous times, times of sorrow. Sorrows, plural. But beautiful in the sense that we're seeing prophecy being fulfilled. On top of that, you're seeing people, even Satanists, homosexuals, lesbians, transgender. They're like, wow, you know, we see what's this. The world is crazy. And you know what's coming in this chaos we see in the world today? A man of peace. He will emerge. A man of peace. And the world will fall in love with him and they will follow him. It's so perfect. The world is, the stage is set for the emerging of this man of peace. But that's straight up Antichrist. These things will come to pass. And yet we walk a narrow path. Of these psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. It's always unto the Lord. Always unto the Lord. It's never for anyone or anything else.
always unto the Lord, never for anyone or for anything else, only the Lord. Now, in saying that, understand that people are on the receiving end of what is poured. So, in one in one way, it's seemingly for them. But when they hate you, when they hate you, you won't rejoice. You see? When we see that this, you know, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and you hear me say, it's always unto Jesus, always, always, always unto Jesus, because that's the danger. If you do it for people, if you do it for people, understand that the closer you get to the Lord in your intimacy with Him, the more the world will hate you, the more the carnal will hate you, the more the Laodiceans will hate you. And if what you do is for them and unto them, when they hate you, you will not rejoice. Because from the beginning, the motives were out of whack. It was for the people. And that's when, you know, another contributor to the great falling away. But when it's unto the Lord and unto Jesus only, Yes, you pour out unto people. And in one regard, that, what is poor, it is for the people. But your service is unto the Lord. And in his obedience, he says, okay, do this, do that, do this, do this. And in obedience, you say, yes, Lord, I will do this. Okay, Lord, I will do this. Yes, Lord, I will. It is what you do is 100%. For God in obedience. And when they hate you, then, like in that scenario, you'll rejoice like you've never rejoiced before. Why? Because you were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. You see? And I've had these conversations with ministry leaders, pastors even who in long conversation, it is discovered that their service was unto the people. And, you know, they stand for truth. They love the Lord. They stand for truth, except when the people hate them, they're like borderline suicidal. They enter into depression. And then we hit the rewind button and analyze all these things. I say analyze, but we just, it's like, it's not like, you know, like, you know, you have your spectacles on and you're like, okay, you know, tell me about this. Write my notes down. No, it's just a conversation. And we, I don't know the other word for it, but like we analyze, but it's just discuss. And then it is revealed that the motives of this ministry leader or a pastor or elder in whatever ministry that it was unto people, the, the goal, the focus was unto people, and that's wrong. The Lord does the calling. The Lord builds the house. Because if the focus is on the people, they're gonna and when the focus is on the people and you stand for righteousness, they will. It's only a matter of time before they hate you. Few will, you know, you'll find brothers and sisters there. But the majority, they will hate you. 
I mean, look at Paul, look at Peter, look at John. It's only a matter of time before they were hated. But fewer fell in love with them. And if the focus is on the people and then they hate you, you're going to be sad. And, you know, to the point where, you know, Satan can capitalize on that and say, well, you know what, why don't you just kill yourself? Why don't you just jump off a bridge? Why don't you just, you know, put this, put the barrel in your mouth. Just take these pills. You see, and you're so depressed that you're, you... but when it's for the Lord and the people hate you, you'll rejoice like it's nobody's business. You'll dance like David danced all because you were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. You see? Now remember, this is the body that is, this is about the Colossian saints here. You have a body of Christians, saints, who are well on the way, on the pathway to being workers. This is straight up ministry material. And we see verse 17. Whatever you do, Whatever you do, in word or deed. See, remember? Word or deed. So hands, feet, speech. The outpouring of your heart, what comes out of your mouth. The deeds of your hands, the steps of your feet. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Jesus. You hear people say all the time, I believe in God, but not Jesus though. I believe in God, but not the God of the Bible. Now, if you're listening and you still haven't heeded my prior call to repent and receive Jesus Christ, and if this is your camp where you, you know, I believe in God, but not Jesus. I believe in God, but not the Bible. If you hear these pauses of mine, it's because, you know, my throat is on fire. I have to drink tea. And, you know, when we started, it was hot tea. But now it's cold tea. But it still works. So we see here, if, if that is you, if that is your camp, where, you know, I believe God, but not the God of the Bible, or I believe in God, but not Jesus. If that's you, your God does have power. Your God does have power. Remember, remember Egypt, if you've been listening to us and you hadn't listened to my prior calls back then, but in Egypt, the gods of Egypt could had power to perform miracles. They could do the things that the God of Israel could do. There was absolutely power in those gods of Egypt. But they had limitations. They could do this. They could do that. They could do this. They could do that. They had power. But they could not make the hail come down. You see? They could not make the hail come down. They could not separate the oceans. They cannot be a pillar of fire. And if that's you, 
I believe in God, but not Jesus. I believe in God, but not the Bible. I'm fully aware that your God has certain powers and abilities. And I don't want to be graphic in explaining this, but a 10-year-old can absolutely, absolutely beat up a 3-year-old. I don't want to get graphic in saying that, but I'm just explaining. A 10-year-old can absolutely pummel a 3-year-old. The 10-year-old absolutely has power. The 10-year-old absolutely has strength and ability because he pummeled the 3-year-old. But to have the 10-year-old as your bodyguard, you're in trouble. And it's the same with the Lord. There is power in the God that you believe in in accordance to the powers and principalities of the prince of the air. But the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, he is almighty. And he has a son who is the way. So if that's you, believe in God, but not the God of the Bible. I believe in God, but not in Jesus. Your God does have power. But it's like having that 10-year-old boy as your bodyguard. It's foolishness. According to the flesh, it's foolishness. How much worse is it according to the Spirit? You are not safe, my friend. You hit pause. Let today be the day of salvation. You listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. You see? Verse 18, in closing, it's like a little refresher of our studies through Ephesians 5 and 6 studies about the family. Wives, verse 18, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Now, remember the formula. The formula's got to be right. If you're a wife, if you're not a wife, if you're anybody, listen to our study through uh, Ephesians 5. And you'll understand more about the, you know, family dynamics, the home. Wives submit to your own. It's not wives submit to men. It's wives submit to your own husbands. You see? As is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, verse 19, love your wives and do not be bitter. You know how that, how this translates in the Greek? Do not be bitter toward them. It's do not be sharp and harsh in tone toward them. Wow. I tell you the truth. When I see this in husbands, husbands who are very sharp and harsh with their wives, when I see this in husbands, I don't see men. They might have the the big arms, the hairy chest, the deep voice. They might have that. That's not very deep. But the little boys, they're not men, they're little boys. And in my experience, these are most commonly under the influence of either milk and or bad doctrine. And when it's doctrinal, I see it among the Calvinists and the Reformed theory people. Husbands that lord over their wives. Wives who are more slave 
than friend. In some cases, wives that are more concubine than friend. I see it among little boys who are under the influence of the milk drinker or bad bad doctrine and in the doctrinal realm among high concentration among the Calvinists and Reformed. Now, if you're Calvinist and Reformed, listen to our study through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. You'll understand more. If you're a milk drinker, listen to our study through 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and get yourself caught up to Corinth where we're at. Husbands. Real men. Not boys. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be bitter toward them. You see? In verse 20, children, obey your parents in all things. It's very beautiful to see this. Obey your parents in all things. But remember, the formula has got to be right. But the Bible says, in all things, obey your parents. Yes, don't forget, we're in, we're in Colossae. These are Colossian saints. You see? These are Colossian saints. And among the Colossian saints, it is safe to obey parents in all things. Why? Because you, you see the remnant. You don't see the, the leaven that you see in Corinth. So it is safe for children to obey their parents in all things. In Colossae, good teachers, good pastors in Colossae. You see? This is Colossians 3. This isn't 1 Corinthians 3. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children. Translates as, do not stimulate to anger your children, lest they become discouraged. I have a hard time with this. Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. You want to know how this translates? Discouraged? It's defined in the Greek as more of a process. And this is the process, and it breaks my heart. This is the process. To be dismayed. To be disheartened. To be spiritless. To be aroused to anger and wrath. And it is written, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Those four steps, to be dismayed, to be disheartened, to be spiritless, to be aroused in anger and wrath. And I've had these conversations with children. And they're in shock. Shock. And how they are treated by a parent. That's the dismayed aspect. Shock. A little 10-year-old in shock. And then, without a change, without no renovation in the parent, 10-year-old is now 13 years old. 13-year-old. Now, 13-year-old, when it's become the norm, is now disheartened. Still no change. No renovation in mom and dad. No renovation in parent. Resisting the Holy Spirit. Now, the kid went from dismayed to disheartened and now spiritless. Now the kid is 18 years old. 
dismayed at age 10, disheartened at age 13, spiritless at age 16, and now the kid is age 18 and he's aroused to anger and wrath. See? It kills me. It breaks my heart. I've had these conversations with kids, young adults, and this is the process that happens. When this happens, when kids are provoked, when kids are stimulated to anger, it's a process. And then I talk to parents, grieving parents, weeping mothers. Why is this happening? Why is this happening, moms? Why is this happening? Oh, my son, my beautiful son, my beautiful daughter. We're going to take him to counseling. We're going to take her to therapist. We're going to give him medication to quell the anger. We're going to take her to doctors and all these things. We're going to go church hopping. We're going to go to this church. And if it doesn't work, we're going to go to this church. And if that doesn't work, we're going to go to this church. Church hopping. Desperate for a fix. You know what the problem was? Stupid, foolish, dangerous dad who thinks he's a man, but he's a boy. In some cases, a wolf. Stupid, foolish, dangerous dad. That's the problem. Another problem is stupid, foolish mom who is sad and desperate for solutions. And all without realizing that she is not without fault. To the woman, she married the problem. You see? And as a result of parents and their disobedience unto the Lord, let's forget the children. Mom and dad. As a result of their disobedience unto God, children are discarded and thrown to the wolves. All the handiwork of dear old mom and dad. You see? And I've had these conversations with parents, mostly moms, grieving moms. Oh, Satan is attacking my family. Hold the phone there, sister. Satan is attacking my family. Hold on a second. He doesn't have to attack your family. You know why? You're doing it for him through stupidity and foolishness. Straight up. Let's just be straight up. Parents, don't forget the millstone. Don't forget the millstone that Jesus, straight up red letters, don't forget the millstone. It's very serious. You know, parents, oh, I don't like that responsibility. Well, you should have thought about that. Takes two to tango. You should have thought about that. Oh, Satan is attacking my family. I don't see Satan. I see stupidity. I see see foolishness. But I don't see Satan. I see your foolish hands, your foolish feet, your foolish speech. I see that. But I don't see Satan. No, you know, I'm not trying to have sympathy for Satan here. But we have to be straight up. You say, well, how dare you say they're stupid? Okay, okay. 
I'll say it like Paul. Idiotes. Where we get the word idiot from. Idiotes. That's how Brother Paul puts it. It's to be without understanding. Idiotes. No understanding. Without understanding. Remember, verse 21, lest they become discouraged and I've even as we speak, I have certain people in my mind that have been subjected to this very process where as young kids, they're in shock. They're in the dismayed, dismayed phase, the dismayed stage, in total shock. Every single child should should feel safe with mom and dad. Every single child should be safe with mom and dad. That shock should not even exist. But because of foolishness in mom and dad and stupidity in mom and dad and idiotes in mom and dad, because of that, the child gets worse. The process gets worse. The child is dismayed, disheartened, spiritless, and then aroused to anger. You see? And the whole time, oh, Satan is attacking my family. Satan is attacking my family. I'm sorry, brother. I'm sorry, sister. I don't see Satan. I see your stupidity. I say I see your state of idiotes, which is where we get the word idiot from. I see that. And wives, you know, moms crying, oh my son, my son. Look at who you married. Because it is written, verse 21, fathers, 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 do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Parents have a pivotal role in their child's destruction in this life and the life to come. Mom and dad, you are not without excuse. Then, you know, doctrine comes into play too. Doctrine comes into play major, in in a very major way. Because where are the pastors? Where are the teachers? Where are the pastors to teach? You know, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. But to really dive deep. Yeah, you're you're, going to spank your kids. Your kids are going to make mistakes. You're going to spank them straight up house of pain. Don't draw blood. Remember, your, 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 your staff and thy rod, they comfort me. It's both. The love of the Lord and the fear of the Lord. The two work together. But you want to be stupid, parent? You want to be idiotes, parent? You want to be foolish, parent? Hello, millstone. Hello, millstone. And to talk to kids, early 20s, late teens, early 20s, even late 20s. I want nothing to do with Jesus. I want nothing to do with him. Don't you ever talk to me about Jesus Christ. Well, why is that? Because I lived in a Christian home. 
And let me tell you about my experience growing up as a kid. Let me tell you my experience about growing up as a kid. And then they just lay it out and it breaks my heart. And I think of this verse right here. Fathers, do not provoke. Do not stimulate to anger your children lest they become discouraged. Remember the state of discouragement? It's a process. It's not just being discouraged. It's a process. Dismayed, disheartened, spiritless, and aroused to anger and wrath. That is your doing, parent. And you even see it among pastors, elders. They got the parking spot, but they're disqualified. The church is in trouble. The church is straight up in trouble. In desperate need of Jesus, the real Jesus, whose word is above his name. And the church today is more like Laodicea than it is Philadelphia or Smyrna. The church today is more Laodicea. And yet, you know, you have, you know, Christians who are into the pre-tribulation rapture theory, which is just a theory. If you're, if that's you, I love you. I don't want to be abrasive to, you know, what you believe. But listen to our study. It's called, you know, Jacob's Trouble, biblically explained. And then when is the rapture? Listen to those two. And then listen to the other one. It's called Do Not Take the Mark of the Beast. You'll understand more. Oh, why would God allow us to suffer? Why would God allow us to suffer? Look, he's supposed to save us from the suffering that we read about in the Bible. Have you talked to your kids? Look at how they're suffering. Because of you, mom. Because of you, dad. And you're telling me why would God allow us to suffer? Look at the suffering that you're causing. Or have caused. You see? And grieving mothers. Tossed around by all kinds of winds of doctrine. Tossed around. Oh, we're going to go to the counselors. Oh, maybe I can get a a stronger prescription for my son, for my daughter. Oh, I'm going to take him to a therapist. Oh, I'm going to go to this church and see if it works. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to go to this church. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to go to this church. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to go here, 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 here. The whole time, a fool who has forgotten the millstone. I don't like speaking like this. Just like on Wednesday, you know, like all the sex that was on Wednesday study, it's like, man, you know, okay, I get this, you know, I get that, but then like sex over here and then sex and sex and sex and sex and wow, like, Lord, do we really have to cover these things? Yes, absolutely. The people, Israel, they need to hear it because when they get into the, this other region, when they cross the, when they cross over, when they get there, There's going to be all kinds of different things that they have to deal with, including among themselves, including more, even more closer, including in their heart. And they have to know these things must be said because balls in your court, Israel, you have a choice to make. Yes, these things that we get down and dirty and they have to be said, just like now we get down and dirty and they have to be said, do not be an idiotes with your kids. If you're a parent, do not be stupid with your kids. Raise them up in the fear of the Lord. And when I say that, I speak mostly to parents. 
People say, oh, you know, raise them up in the fear of the Lord. Raise them up to love the Lord and fear the Lord. Oh, parents are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that for my kids. And I get that. But let's table the kid for a moment. How about first in you, mom? First in you, dad? How about you fear the Lord? While you remember the millstone, mom. Remember the millstone, dad. And know how much the Lord loves a little child. Fresh. You know, he formed each of us in our mother's wombs. Put us together, the sinews, the muscles, put everything together. You have a fresh child born. Now, parent, now you have to raise this child as is pleasing unto the Lord. Yes, train them up the way they should go. Yes, teach the love and fear of the Lord, but even more so in you, parent. Because you want to go off into crazy town? You're hurting your kids. You see? And I've talked to these discouraged, not just discouraged, but young adults, even old adults, who have become dismayed or who were dismayed long ago when they were 10 years old, 13, 14, 15, when they were young kids. They were dismayed, shocked that, oh my goodness, I thought I was safe with my parents and I realized I'm not safe. Do you know how scary that is for a child? How scary it is for a, an eight-year-old child to come to the realization that I'm not safe with mom, I'm not safe with dad. That is terrifying for a child. That's just eight years old. How much more? 12 years old. How much more? 15. How much more? 17. I'm not safe with mom. I'm not safe with dad. And then once the dismay happens, now comes the disheartening. Now comes spiritless. Have you ever talked to the kids? Kids, 18-year-old girl who's like a straight-up deadbeat. Deadbeat. To talk to the 18-year-old girl who's like a straight-up deadbeat. But then you find out why she's a deadbeat. It's not to say like, oh, man, you're a deadbeat. Come on, get up, you know, let's, let's go for a walk. Just sit down. Hey, what's happening? What's the matter? And then she opens up. And she's a deadbeat, yes. But not because she wants to be a deadbeat. It's because she's a deadbeat because she's been disheartened. Her spirit has been taken away from her. And then comes the aroused to anger part. The wrath part. You see? A child who is not safe with mom and dad. For the parent, I say this. If this is applicable, I say this. Woe unto you, parent. Woe unto you, mom. Woe unto you, dad. You need to repent. 
Repent, 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 repent. Because children grow up to be adults and adults are on the path that is wide. The one that leads to destruction. The one that leads to hell. Why? Because of you. You want to provoke your children? You want to stimulate them to anger? You want them to become discouraged? Well, you do so by your behaviors. And that's what happens. Oh, Satan is hurting my family. No, he's not. No, he's not. He doesn't have to. He doesn't even have to come near you. Because he can look at you from a distance and see, okay, no problem. That mom is doing a good job of destroying that home. That dad is doing a good job of destroying the kids. You see? He doesn't have to. And if this is applicable to you, if you're a parent and you have wandered away from the Lord, you have wandered away from your responsibility, yes, I say woe unto you, but I'll also throw you a lifeline. Repent. Repent. Because the Lord can fix anything. But the formula's got to be right. Don't go to the fake Jesus. Don't go to the grave soakers. Mothers, grieving mothers, just desperate for answers without realizing that she's the fool. Oh, I'm going to try this church out. Pastor says I should go lay on the grave, so I'm going to go lay on the grave. Fools, I mean, you amplify the foolishness. The formula's got to be right because in the real Jesus, whose word is above his name, there is healing. And in him, all things are possible. And I tell you from experience, I made a mess of my life. And he fixed me. I tell you from experience. It's sad. That that's one of the most, you know, I'll talk to Satanists. I'll talk to Luciferians. I'll talk to the J-dubs. I'll talk to Mormon. I'll talk to anybody. Young, old, I don't care. Prostitutes, drug dealers. I'll talk to anybody. Gangsters, you know, mobsters. I'll talk to anybody. I don't care. But the one that is most difficult are the adults who have been victimized as children. I mean, I'll talk to them still. But those are the ones for me that are most difficult. The adults that have, I mean, the kids too. But when they've been victimized as children, those are the ones that are most difficult for me. Because where there should have been safety in their home, where there should have been safety with mom and dad, it was straight up hell on earth. Woe unto those parents. Verse 22, bond servants. Now we don't have like, you know, servant, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm not advocating, you know, slave class or servants. I'm not advocating that. But like when we, if you listen to our study through the Old Testament, you know, like, you know, the, the, our, our studies through the Torah, uh, Genesis, Leviticus, or Gen- Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you see how the Lord has written in the law about slaves. And you read it as New Covenant believers. And even if you read it in accordance to the law, it's like, wow, this... 
It's not so bad to be a slave in Israel. It's bad to be a slave in Canaan. It's bad to be a slave in among the Jebusites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Moabites. It's bad to be a slave there. But there's something different about the, the, the camp of Israel. Bond servants. We don't have a, we don't live in a world that, you know, by and large has a slave class. I know certain areas, certain regions does have slave class, but, but we do have employer employee relationship. Bond servants, verse 22, obey in all things your masters. This is the employers according to the flesh. According to the flesh, not with eye service. This is like eye service, like, okay, my boss is looking and I'm going to work hard. But when my boss looks away, I'm going to take a nap. Or my boss is going to go drive away on lunch. I'm going to go, you know, sit on this chair and I'm just going to doze off and take a nap. He's not looking, so I'm going to do this. He's not looking, so I'm going to do that. No, don't do that. It is not pleasing unto the Lord. You obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God, you see? And in some cases, vocations and industry are in play, actually, in all cases. Vocations and industry are in play. Like, you hear me say, I don't care if you're a stripper. I, I do not care if you're a stripper. You come to Jesus Christ, you believe in Jesus Christ, praise be to the Lord. But now we got to get you cleaned up. That means that no more stripper, no more stripping. Those days are over. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. That means you got to get a new job. You see? Vocations are and in industry are completely in play. And, you know, people don't understand that. So what happens? They're like a bartender, you know, a stripper or whatever. And some kind of, you know, a work environment that is non-conducive to things of the spirit. In terms of living out your faith in obedience to the Lord. Now, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I also do this. This is what I do for a living. Yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ, but now vocations and in industry are absolutely in play. You know, you're a drug dealer. I don't care if you're a drug dealer. You come to Christ, no more drugs. You can, you know, hey, you can't, you can't push that stuff anymore because you have to honor the. Now you're a, a vessel of the Lord. You're a child of God. Now, just like we mentioned earlier, you're a child of God. You believe in Jesus Christ. You have the right, you know, you the right to be called children of God. Now, what kind of child do you want to be? Obedient or disobedient? Balls in your court. You want to be obedient? Then all these promises are effectuated. You want to be disobedient? Then these other promises are effectuated and those promises aren't so good. That's like, you know, worst case scenario. That's straight up like names being blotted out of the book of life. You see? It's sincerity of heart and always in the fear of the Lord, as is written here in verse 22. Verse 23, and whatever you do, remember, these are Colossians 3 saints. These aren't 1 Corinthians saints, 1 Corinthians 3 saints. These aren't the milk drinkers. These are the meat eaters. Whatever you do, do it heartily. So like, you know, imagine, you know, 1 Corinthians 3, the milk drinkers. And when you see the 1 Corinthians 5, the exposing of the works of the flesh, the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the extortion, the guy who's having sex with his dad's wife. Can he say this? Wow, whatever you do, do it heartily. Wow, I'm alcoholic. I'm going to do it heartily unto the Lord. 
Wow, you know, I'm having sex like crazy. I'm going to do it heartily unto the Lord. Wow, I'm doing my crack, my drugs, my Buddha, my, you know, the, the, the Ouija boards. I'm going to do it heartily unto the Lord. No, it doesn't fit. It doesn't, the triangle has to fit in the triangle. The square has to fit in the square. The triangle doesn't fit in the circle. It's got to fit. These are Colossians 3 saints. More mature than meat eaters. And whatever you do, just like, you know, the parents, the Colossian parents, sending, sending their daughter to school in Corinth, well, she's not going to fellowship in the, the main church in Corinth. Because of, you see, the flesh, the carnality. But she can go with, you know, in Chloe's house. It's nice and safe for her in Chloe's house. She can be further equipped in Chloe's house. She can fellowship with the same. There's episunagage in Chloe's house. But in the, you know, the large Corinthian church, you know, before the separation, beware of the mutilation. Verse 23, and whatever you do, remember, these are Colossians, not Corinthians. These are Colossians. It's very important to make these distinctions because, you know, if you're a milk drinker, praise be to the Lord. You know, let's move on. Let's move away from milk and learn to, you know, get into the deeper spiritual things. But if you're wrestling with works of the flesh, 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 and walking according to the flesh, 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 do you see how dangerous it is to apply verse 23 to your life? Oh, yeah, I'm going to go gambling and I'm going to do it heartily unto the Lord. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go to the strip club and I'm going to do it heartily unto the Lord. Oh, yeah, I'm going to do my crack from Chiapas, Mexico, the best crack, the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. I'm going to do it heartily unto the Lord. Buddha, tell my lies, get cheap tickets from Disneyland, pay for the adults and, you know, get my kids in free. I'll go ahead and lie. Hey, son, tell them that you're 10 years old. Kid's got a beard. Tell them that you're 10 years old. That's the way of the milk drinker. That's the way of the baby. That's the way of the leaven. Whatever you do, Colossian saints, the meat eaters. Remember, there's confidence in the circumcision. Male and female, because it's not according to the flesh, it's of the heart. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing in verse 24 that from the Lord, notice, from man, you'll get a paycheck. You know, speaking about jobs and vocations and industries, from man, you'll get a paycheck. But from the Lord who desires obedience, verse 24, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of inheritance. There's no question. Confidence in the circumcision. Remember, these are Colossian saints. For you serve the Lord Christ. You see? You serve the Lord Christ. And when you're of the circumcision and you do have that confidence in the circumcision, male or female, you say, if you're female and you're listening, you're like, how can a female be circumcised? Well, listen to our study through Romans up until now, you'll understand. Circumcision avails a lot of beautiful things. But then it also avails some other things. Enmity with things carnal. They will hate you. 
when you're of the circumcision, you will be hated. You will be called names. You will be spit at. It's going to get so bad to the point where they want your head. They want you dead straight up. And through obedience, more promises of God are effectuated in the life to come. To live is Christ, to die is gain. You see? And I love how we end here. How beautiful Brother Paul ends. A little reminder as admonition. Verse 25. But... He who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. That's heavy. It can be heavy. Because remember, whatsoever a man soweth, that a person shall, shall reap. We reap what we sow. I mean, you plant apple seeds, you're going to get apple tree. You, you plant orange seeds, you're going to get orange, orange tree. You plant roses, you're going to get roses. You plant lilies, you're going to get lilies. You sow seeds of the flesh. You're going to reap the fruit of the flesh. And then we enter into another scenario. The deceitfulness of sin. And in the course of time, remember our study through Hebrews 3, our referencing the Hebrews 3, the sidestep, 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 sidestep. Now, if you're in the middle of the narrow path, praise be to the Lord, but you take a sidestep left, which isn't good. You're still on the narrow path, but you've taken a sidestep left. Well, in order to be right smack dab in the middle, you have to take a sidestep right to get back into place. But you're in the middle of the narrow path, which is good. You take sidestep left. Okay, you're still okay, but not good. And then you take another sidestep left. Okay, you've taken two steps to the left. Now you got to take two steps to the right. See? But that doesn't happen because Satan's whispering in your ear. Now, it takes wisdom. It takes understanding. It takes not idiotes. It takes a Berean to understand what is happening in the spirit realm. It's a seduction for you to take more steps to the left. But through wisdom, through being a Berean, you know, the, the fruit of the spirit, all of a sudden you realize, whoa, I need to repent and get back right, right where I need to be. You repent and boom, the Lord brings you right back in the middle. But outside of that, you know, oh, once saved, always saved, so I'm good to go. So what if I take a little step left, step left, step left, step left, step left. You take a hundred steps left, you think you're on the narrow path? That's the deceitfulness of sin. You see? Through the deceitfulness of sin. I mean, we'll read, turn to Hebrews 3 really quick. Since we referenced it, we'll look at it. And in Hebrews 3, verse 12, beware, brethren, brethren, brethren. People say, oh, this is for this is for the Jewish believers. Don't forget, in Christ, there's no Jew or Gentile. Chapter 3, verse 12, Hebrews. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Very interesting. I thought these were believers. These are the brethren. And he's talking about unbelief. Very interesting. In departing from the living God, that's the sidestep, sidestep, left, 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 fall. You see? 
Left, 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 sidestep, 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 and then boom, the fall. It's a seduction. Satan, oh, look, once saved, always saved. Go ahead, do the crack. Look, once saved, always saved. This guy, he has a study Bible. Look, once saved, always saved. Listen to what he says. Go ahead, tell your lies. Get cheap tickets at Disneyland. You know, kids in free. You got a, a son who has a beard. Tell you go ahead. Tell him you're ten years old. Get for kids in free. A sidestep left. You think that's just Disneyland tickets? That's, that has no eternal consequences. But what is happening in the mind of the person through trespass? Well, I told a little white lie over here. So now I'm going to tell a little lie over here when it comes to this subject matter. Lying is okay here, so now it's okay here. Meanwhile, sons, kids, they're learning how to lie. Mom does it. Dad does it. Mom and dad say, well, that's what the study study Bible guy told me to say. Told me to believe. It's like an Adam and Eve scenario. Adam ate the fruit and Adam's like, you know, well, it's the wife you gave me. It's not my fault. You know, I'm innocent here. It's the wife you gave me. And you look at Eve and say, it wasn't me. It was the serpent. You know, who's on first? Nobody wants to take responsibility. It's the way of the baby. It is not the way of the meat eater. It is the way of the milk drinker. Kid caught a lie. Where'd you learn to lie? Well, mom and dad do it. Mom and dad, what did you, why do you teach this? Well, the pastor teaches it. What doctrine? It's Reformed. It's Calvinist. We have our study Bibles. Which study Bible? Look at the name. Okay, here. Hmm. That's the Mark of the Beast guy. That's the guy who says, go ahead and take the Mark of the Beast. You can still be saved. Garbage. False doctrine. They blame it. Pass blame. The kids, oh, mom taught me this. Mom, well, you know, I learned it from the dad. Okay, dad, oh, I learned it from the pastor. Pastor says, oh, I learned it from this, uh, I learned it from this uh, uh, coalition. I learned it from this study Bible. Everybody passes the buck. God doesn't pass the buck. He doesn't. Everybody, every single one of us, we're going to stand before the Lord. Pastors, teachers are held to higher account. It is more strict. For pastors and teachers. That's why Brother James says, let not many be teachers. So just verse 12 alone in Hebrews 3 reveals to us that it is possible to depart for a believer, for brethren, to become unbelieving and depart from the living God. But how does that happen? Verse 13, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You see? That's the seduction. Go ahead, step left. Sidestep, 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 left, 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 fall. Boom. Oh, I didn't know. The pastor told me this. Who's your pastor? Oh, this guy says, take the mark of the beast. We do the glitter. We go grave soaking. That ain't no pastor. My people perish for lack of knowledge. That's a straight up thus saith the Lord. You see? Let's go back to Colossians 3. 
And now this little, this little footnote here. Verse 25. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. Remember, you, we reap what we sow. And there is no partiality. Remember, God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't care. You're a multi-billionaire. He could care less. That's nothing to him. You're like a nerd that knows how to do all kinds of things. He doesn't care. You're like a, a brainiac. You know how to do that. He doesn't care. Remember, we talked about nerds. And, you know, like, you know, the, the Scythians, the barbarians, in, in, the remnant in Christ. We're a ragtag bunch of people. Old people, young people, male, female, a ragtag bunch of people, but we're a remnant. You could be a nerd hanging out with like a popular kid, which is hanging out with like an old person, hanging out with like a fat guy, a skinny guy, you know, a lady here, a lady there, old people, different colors, all kinds of different people. And that is the remnant. No social club, no cliques. That's the remnant. You're a multi-billionaire. God doesn't care. You know, you're handsome, you're pretty. God could care less. He sees the heart. He is no respecter of persons. You're authority, you're in authority. You're like a, a, a president. You're a prime minister. You're a king. You're a queen. He doesn't care. He is the ultimate authority. He could care less. He looks at the heart. He is no respecter of persons. And remember, he is reactionary the lord he loves you he loves us he loves his creation and he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to him through jesus christ god sent his son into the world not to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved he's the one who made a way which is why you hear us say from time to time get in the ark jump ship get in the ark the Lord is reactionary. He responds to obedience. He responds to disobedience. He responds to righteousness. He responds to wickedness. He responds to repentance. Or repentance. Repentance. From the very beginning, every single soul must choose. If you're not a believer, let today be the day of salvation. And join the remnant. To the people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.